0: Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me there on Twitter. The co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. Joining me this week as uh, Eric for still has more uh, soccer, uh, more uh, football, best ball drafts. To, uh, he has to get on drafters. He has to get on everything. He'll, he'll eventually. He'll be back, I think, after the first week of NFL but to join me, uh, you may you may hear him on on and, and see him on AwesomeO shows the the strategy shows the live before locks the deeper dives the whatever as well as uh, uh, playing 150 lineups in your contests. It's Adam Shearer. Ship my money DFS. Uh, I saw your tweet uh, yesterday. Uh, it's, it's a very uh, humbling thing uh, figuring out when to uh, update your rotor track.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, I, 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 it's easy to do after you win, but then, you know, you get the losses right after it, and it's just like, okay, well, do I just go a month and not update this, or, you know, eventually you just kind
0: of have to bite the bullet. So you don't have, like, a set period or anything? Like, I, I tend to try to update it, like, two or three weeks?
1: So when... When I'm playing cash games consistently, because I kind of bounce around, especially over the last year or so with what I've been playing, when I play cash games consistently, I update it, you know, every couple of weeks or so because it's just like you know more consistent results. When I play tournaments, though, I typically just like don't look at it, and then I'll win a tournament and I'll update it and be like, oh, okay, like everything looks good. Um, like I'll, I'll update it. Normally, I update it either when I win a tournament because I know it'll look good, or if like I'm in a prolonged losing streak and I want to know if I'm playing really poorly or just you know, losing Um, when when I start to question that normally I'll update it. But if it's just like, yeah, I know that, you know, I'm getting like 15th place every night and just not getting first. I typically just say, uh, yeah, I'll wait until I win one and then I'll update it.
0: Right. The the main problem about updating roto tracker is getting your CSV from DraftKings.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, (laughs) click the refresh button like a hundred times and then you finally get it once.
0: Right. That to me, that's the main thing that if it wasn't for that, I'd probably update it every day.
1: Yeah. It's like, in my opinion, one of the only things that I like about FanDuel more than DraftKings is you just click a button on Rototracker and it'll pull it all from FanDuel for you. Whereas DraftKings, you have to sit there and mess around with it for five minutes.
0: Right. You click, you click the history and then it times out and then you go, okay, let me click it again. And then it times out and then you click it. It's like, come on. What, what's so, what's so complicated. Are they not prepared for people that have (laughs) CSVs that have like 7 million rows in them?
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I just end up clicking it like
0: 15 times at once. And then eventually maybe one will work. But, but you're right like I the main reason that I look at road tracker is at, is a, am I getting unlucky or am I playing bad I mean to me that's that that's like yeah updating when you win like yeah looking at your nice graph and go look I, right. it's, it's higher than it was before like doesn't really do anything for you I think it's right more, yeah like- I think it's more important even after you win to go
1: and go, did I get lucky? And I wasn't. Right. Exactly. And to me, like, that's the hardest thing in DFS, too, especially, I think, for anyone that has any sort of poker background. At least in poker, you can go back, you know, if you're losing or winning, you can go back and you'll look at specific hands and and do the math and, and just really say, like, okay, I played this poorly, but I got lucky or I played this really well and I got unlucky. It's so hard with DFS in general to be like, you know am I really any good? Like, was I ever good? Did I get lucky over a stretch and I've been bad this whole time? Like, the one little thing you can do is, you know, use something, use Rotor Tracker or something similar and be like, yeah, okay, you know, one and a half percent of my lineups are finishing in the top 1%. I'm probably just not getting lucky enough.
0: Right, or you see, or like you said, you see yourself like every night, every other night coming in eighth or twelfth, right? You you get the snake knives and you're like, you're like, well, I mean, at some point, some point I'm gonna get seven extra points and this is gonna turn into like actual money, but but yeah, it's just exactly. not working meanwhile, out. Yeah, you
1: know, meanwhile you're losing fifty percent of your entries every night, even if you're finishing, you know, eighth or ninth.
0: <laughs> right, people don't realize that. Right. Like to, to me, that's the thing that people that people really don't get. And that's the main reason that like I don't play 150 lineups. Because when you play 150 lineups, and if you're significantly wrong, like minus 70% nights is not I mean, that's, that's common, but I mean, minus 40% nights would be like another day at the office. But when you play like 90 lineups and you condense it to like only the lineups that kind of, you're not just throwing in a pirate stack because why not have pirates exposure? Like you're like, okay, when a losing night, maybe is minus 18% it's like, I could, I could deal with, with that. But I mean, to me, that's a, that's the balance. Uh, I know chess is okay on Twitter. Uh, he's, he's he's not, uh, he, he doesn't tweet that often. Uh, Replied to one of my my things uh, like maybe a week ago about like not playing 150 lineups. The added atti- the other attitude is if you have that edge, wouldn't you want to compound it into 150 lineups? But the thing that people don't talk about like diversification is not a strategy. It's a way to uh, it's a it's a risk tolerance preference. And I be- I believe from what I from obviously talking to a lot of sharp players and talking to 150 maxers talking to people like you, Adam, like I just, I, I, I'm very conservative risk tolerance. So I'm, I, I have no problem giving up that to have a graph that doesn't have like fucking it's all over the place. And yeah. I see these graphs from some sharp people and the graphs, they make more money than me, but their graphs, like I'm like, I would get all, I see that, that slope. And it's like, I would, dude, at, at some point during that slope, I'd be considering getting a full-time job. Yeah, that's kind of the the balance for me. And I
1: think for anyone who has had success at DFS but isn't, you know, like rich, I think we kind of run into similar issues where, you know, I know I'm going to make more money over the course of a year if I'm playing 150 lineups in these contests. But you also run into the issue of, like, I can – I still can go broke. Like, I I mean, I I have the money, but it's not – you know, I don't have, like, an unlimited supply of money and it kind of like i I did a podcast with dean uh during the covid lockdowns and i said that i had kind of at that at that time i was playing a lot more three max and kind of gotten away from 150 max because i'd kind of just gotten to the point where it was just like you know i have plenty of money for like the lifestyle that i live and all of that it's a lot it makes a lot more sense to me at this point just to like make some more money on top of this than to risk just losing everything that I've built up. So like, that's kind of what I go back and forth with during the downswings. It's just like, you know, yeah, I know I'm going to get out of it eventually and I'm going to make more money, but also there's like a non-zero chance that I just like completely screw myself because I, I stick with this and, you know, the downswing goes longer than I would like.
0: Uh, the way that you react to downswings like that by like maybe play single entry three max, which has less variance. Or cash games. I mean, there's one right. thing that you started playing that I never thought you would ever play, like double ups and head-to-heads. Do some people react that way? I think the the worst thing to do is to not react at all, especially if you're not, especially if you're not sure you have an edge. I mean, we see this all the time. I mean, I've been playing DFS for six years. I think you've been playing for longer. People go on a hot streak and then they push it, and they don't realize that like they that they just got on the right side of variance, they actually were playing worse, maybe not playing badly, but they're not playing at the, they're playing so much percentage of your bankroll now in comparison to the smallest amount of edge that next thing, you know, uh, you actually lost all your, you, you, you won $200,000. And by the end of the year, you're actually down. And since you're not playing well to begin with, like you're, you should have taken the money and run at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think for I think it's kind of like human nature
1: whenever you're winning, especially if you go on, you know, an actual hot streak or like, you know, you win a couple tournaments over the course of a week or something, you're going to think you're better than you are. I think that's kind of just normal. But yeah, trying to at least like be real with yourself and look at, you know, your results and, and understand that you probably didn't go from being like an average player to the best player in the world over the course of a week or something. You're probably just running really good. And, you know, I think it's one thing, you know, especially if you have a big week, I don't mind taking some shots. Um, you know, like I started playing higher stakes after my, my recent hot streak, and that did, in part, uh, also play into why my my losing streaks been so bad. <laughs> but like, I'm okay with doing that because I know that I'll get myself out of it too. Like, one, you know, it's kind of I'm okay with doing that. I don't need the money right now. I'm better off. It, it's worth the risk to me. But I think when you have people that aren't, you know as experienced and aren't going to pull themselves out of it. And they're they're at more of a risk of just losing all of their money, chasing, you know, higher stakes and stuff is when you really
0: in trouble. Well, I also think that people, it's very similar to poker. People get used to the stakes that they play in the games that they play. So, I mean, what you see the mistake that people make is that, and I made it very early. I made it very early in playing DFS also. Like when I was, I was playing the quarter and dollar soccer contest in 2015, got some satellite tickets into the main $20 ones, did well on one day, got like twenty four hundred bucks, and was like, "Well, now that I'm used to playing the twenty dollar contest, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna play max. I'm, I'm still, pl- I'm handling five lineups. I'm playing hundred dollars a slate for, versus playing thirty dollars a slate, and then over the course of a month, like just lose, 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 and it's like that twenty four hundred dollars just went back down to eight hundred, and I'm like, like, oh, what should I be doing here at eight hundred? No, I should be going back to the quarter and the dollar contests, and then working my way up, very similar right. to poker, where like in in you know I was I was a big limit holding player, so it's like yeah you play you play the six twelve games once you beat the six twelve games then you move up to ten twenty or fifteen thirty, but then you go on a run maybe you win a tournament you play some no limit and now he's like oh now I'm gonna play eighty one sixty it's like what like why <laughs> like why are you doing that? and maybe you do have the bankroll for eighty one sixty but let's say you go on a losing streak in there like the best thing for you to do is drop down, but. In yeah. poker, Adam, if, I don't know if you played live poker, especially at, at a card room or. Yeah, when I he, mean, I I played, but not. But not like it, as a living type of thing. Yeah. Some yeah. some people in poker, uh, and maybe it exists in DFS because it's kind of public that you play at a certain level, and then when people like, like I think a good example is Sahil. I think like he was playing everything back in 2015, 2016. And now, like, I see him in in soccer, in the soccer lobby, I see him once in a while and he's playing, you know, one entry into the 555 or something like that. But it's a noticeable thing of like, oh, this person went on a very big downswing. And now, now like the public, you almost feel like you, oh, I have to play these contests. Like, oh, I'm known as the guy that tries to qualify for live finals. So, like, if they don't see me in live final qualifiers, they they can think worse of me. Even if you're not, like, doing content, it's just a public, like, I don't want people to think I'm a bad player, and if they don't see me in contests, instead of just going, what's the best financially for me in the long run, and who cares what anyone else thinks?
1: Yeah, I I think that's difficult, and I think it's probably most difficult, like you said, for people that are known for having a live final presence, and for people that play the highest stakes— because like for me, I can stop playing. I can stop 150 maxing the 18 dollars on DraftKings, and nobody's gonna notice because there's 10,000 people in that tournament, and you know who cares? I'll notice. But it,
0: I'll notice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if I'm playing, you know, the the Thunderdome every day for two months straight, and then I just stop playing it, it's gonna be noticeable because there's like eight people in the tournament or whatever. And the same for for live finals. Um, you know, if you're someone that basically says, this is what I go for. I'm going to make live finals in every sport, you know, whatever. And then you just stop qualifying for them. People notice that too. So I think those are the two where it probably stands out the most. And it's not just dealing with your ego with yourself, but, you know, people are going to notice that you're, you're moving down in stakes. And there's really only one reason people do that.
0: Well, sometimes that's where the best, that's where the easiest money is.
1: Well, right. Yeah. But the thing, the thing is too, with DFS though, like in poker, there's at least an opportunity cost. You know, it's like, okay, well I can beat I can beat high stakes, but I'm going to win at a bit at a better rate. Moving down a little bit, there's no opportunity cost in DFS. You just play it all. Yeah, like but, if, oh, if but the contest,
0: but the contest will change.
1: But but like if you're if you're winning at high stakes DFS, you're not going to stop doing that just so that you can like play lower stakes and win at a higher rate. You're just going to play both and you know adjust your lineups appropriately.
0: Well, I mean, it, well, but that, but like, like I said, I think it depends on the contests that are offered. So so for for instance, if you're the type of person like this NFL season coming into it. I may be playing more of the smaller field, the $400 juke. Like, I always played this power sweep and the spy, and, yeah. and then I would play, like, the, the slant. the best tournaments there. Right. The, to me, the slant is the best large field contest they yeah. offer during NFL. I don't mind playing 100 lineups into that. And not even even bother playing the Millie maker. Yeah, 2X min cash.
1: Yeah, I I typically forego the Millie. Um, Even – there was a stretch last NFL season, I think, where I had stopped max entering and I might have just been playing cash in three max except for I was 150 maxing the slant because it just – the 2X min cash is just such a big deal, I think. People always talk about, you know, um, yeah, you're just – you play for first. It doesn't matter, you know. First or last in GPPs is like, no, if you're playing, especially if you're playing, you know, 150 lineups in these, the min cash really does matter as far as
0: sustainability. Right. For sustainability, not necessarily for like the, your ceiling. Right. Just more yeah. of the fact of you're not you're not losing 50 percent of your entries every week when you don't right. have a top 10 lineup. Yeah. Just for the chances that I'm still able to play in week 17. Right. But in those cases, since they change their offerings week to week, day to day in baseball, to me, there's a big difference in MLB. That uh, the super knuckleball and the bat flip, like oh, the for 18th, sure. yeah. right, Like the five dollars super knuckleball with a hundred thousand a first and and seventh place steak knives, and right. th- then they have the bat flip. Sometimes the bat flip on like off days when there's an NFL game or something. It's only seven thousand entries, eighteen dollars, and they make twenty five that they they then it's fifty thousand a first and ten thousand a second. It's like, I don't like that. Right. But sometimes the payout structure. It all matches up. This field size and the payout structure, where it's like, oh, today's the day. Instead of me playing, uh, the, let's say I was playing the the seven seventy seven or something, I don't play the seven seventy seven and use right. that seven hundred and seventy seven dollars into something else. So yeah. what I'm saying is like, with when you talk about the Thunderdome, that's a very high stakes. But I'm talking yep. about like high enough stakes where. Okay, normally I play an entry into the 121. I play the entry into the two entries into the 250 ball four. But now they're running this large field contest where I would normally put in 80 entries. But since the structure is good and also probably going to attract a little bit more casuals with an $8 entry fee than an $18 entry fee, I'm just going to forego one of my entries up that would forego one of the contests at the higher stakes. So I play the same amount of volume. percentage wise and i just put it into that contest yeah for sure um yeah i agree with that completely um yeah when i
1: when i use the thunder thunderdome example i was just saying like if you're someone that consistently plays that and then you just stop
0: it's probably because you were you're you're getting your ass kicked and you're not not winning but who cares so so what so so wilson can make fun of you on twitter or something i mean who cares (laughs) yeah i mean
1: that's i I think it I, i think for it's probably harder like and i don't play that tournament but like if I did, I think it would be harder for me to drop down in stakes during a downswing because it would just be so noticeable. Whereas for me now, nobody really knows what I'm playing unless, like you said, unless you're just digging back through like, to see what people are doing in, in certain tournaments. Nobody knows what I'm playing. Like, if yeah, I but What does the out
0: noticeability this- have to do with
1: you? I mean, like, is there any advantage that anyone has by noticing that? No, no, but you had, you had brought up, like, the, you know, people noticing, like, if you're in a downswing, like, with heel and you, you know, move down in stakes, it's like, you feel like your people are going to think less of you.
0: Right, but my point is that you shouldn't care. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, for sure. okay, that, that's, the, that's the point. It's like, it, it really shouldn't matter. People fall yeah, into it, that ego trap. Yeah, yeah, I was
1: just saying that I think, like, the stakes I play, I don't really have to deal with that because nobody nobody's going to notice I'm not in a specific tournament. Yeah, but yeah um, I would no, think it's probably it, no. a... It's probably harder for the
0: guys to play, like, high stakes where it's going to stand out. You you don't think people would notice that you're not 115 maxing? I mean, I I did. I mean, I did. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think some people would. Um, But I don't think it's that noticeable. For the normal person, for the average person that is... They're, i mean the average person at once the slate's over they don't even care about the slate before right exactly like I, and i yeah
1: like i'll say there, they i've bounced back and forth between 150 maxing and not 150 maxing like pretty frequently over the last couple of years um just kind of depending on how things are going but yeah in general like i don't think people really notice it like where my interactions on twitter don't change you know people still think you know oh yeah adam 150 maxing every tournament i'm just like yeah no i've been playing cash for a month you know you
0: you know, why did you start doing that? Because I, I remember from a while ago, you were you, like, cash games are like, why bother playing cash games?
1: Yeah, it was kind of just, um, I don't remember why, I don't remember what made me start or what sport it even was, but I kind of just realized that I think they're a little bit more beatable, especially in some sports than I had given them credit for. And so I was like, okay, I can make relatively consistent money just playing like my best lineup across you know, cash games and I was throwing it into, you know, single entry tournaments and stuff like that too. And mentally it's just so much better. Like that was the big thing for me. I didn't realize, cause I think I generally handle downswings pretty well. Like I'm able to make fun of myself. I don't take it too seriously. And I understand I'm going to get out of it, but I didn't really realize how much of a toll, like 150 maxing takes on me mentally sometimes, because even when you have a sweat, like your night will end up okay, but you still feel like you lost. And I think for me specifically, I I still fall into that trap of, like, I deserve to win, and if I don't win, like, I got unlucky kind of thing, you know, even if – even though it's stupid, like, that's how it feels. And so that's something that I I noticed just was sort of wearing on me. And then once I switched to cash and it was just like, okay, I don't even have to care about like 80% of the things that are happening tonight. I just have to care about my players and like the two or three guys that I don't have that other people do. And other than that, like, I don't have to sweat anything. I don't have to care. And I'm still going to, and I'm going to win at a much higher rate than I did in tournaments. That made a really big difference for me, both in terms of just mentally. And I really liked the aspect of being able to like consistently withdraw money and, you know, invest in other things. Um, At the time, I think I was still pretty big into like Top Shot, for example. And that was something where playing 100% tournaments, I think it's a lot more difficult because you always have that like impending downswing behind you. You know, it's like, oh, I just won 100K, but I better keep most of that around because I'm probably going to lose 70K over the next couple of months at some point.
0: Yeah, but do you notice that by playing a hybrid of cash games with tournaments that your downswings are much less severe like yes. like even if you never... even if you're not even if your ROI in cash games is in total 7%, 5%, just that like if you for instance like during basketball like I would play like 4000 in cash and 1000 in GPP and it's like my expected return on the 4000 on multiple sites obviously not just on one site right. I'm playing on Yahoo I'm playing on FanDuel uh that there are many days that like I would lose all my GPP entries, but I would double up everything and everything else. And then I was some days that, and there's a lot of times the GPP lives you're playing are the complete opposite of kind of like what you're doing in cash. Right. So like even on the days where in cash, you in cash, you're not going to lose all 4,000. You're still going to win like 80, uh, like 40% of your head to heads. So like, you, it's not really, you're risking 4,000, but if you look at that graph, even if you're winning 7% over time in cash, like those downswings in GPPs just aren't as sharp down. They're just a yeah. little bit more softer. Yeah. Like, and I, I
1: think that's probably the best approach for it. I've never been that good at doing that. Like, granted, I've, I haven't done it a ton. Normally, I just play one or the other. But I always feel like when I do both, I just end up making like, kind of a not great cash lineup, and then my tournament lineups, you know, or whatever, um, they're going to lose most of the time anyway. But I just, I don't know, I, I catch myself making mistakes in cash a lot, where it's just like, I don't know if it's because I'm rushing or just, you know, not thinking as as deeply about the one lineup I'm playing, but it's like, you know, I'll, I'll make a lineup, and it's like, oh, you know, I think this is a good lineup, and I'll play it, and then I'll start looking at the people I'm playing against, and I'm just like, oh man, like, they definitely got me on this, you know, two-person swap or three-person swap, like, I think they have the better side of it. I, I feel like I make mistakes when I try and play both instead of just focusing on well- one, which... It's something I probably should and could get better at, but I just haven't.
0: Well, you, know, you know what I do? I, I eliminate the cash process entirely and just play whatever the optimal line is. <laughs>
1: so that's... And I yeah. do, I,
0: I'm obviously, my, my goal throughout the course of the day is to find the contest that people make the most mistakes in. Right. Right, and just get uh, as much head, as much diversification as possible. And then, my like in basketball, like this past NBA season, like I literally... Played the the Roto-Grinders, played IQ, whatever, whatever they call it, whatever it's called, Uh, whatever the project. And obviously when, when things happen throughout the course of the slate, you're late swapping to the better lineup, right? Right. You're not just leaving it as it is at seven o'clock, but like just, just because the difference between me picking out one of the top five or whatever, or something that's the 1v1, 2v2, just like, I think I could be profitable just doing that. It takes me 15 seconds to put it in and now I could spend the rest of the time now it's all GPP in my mind. And it's just like, to me, it's, I I, I described it as like a, like the equivalent of an index fund in the right. stock market of like, I know I look at, sometimes I look at this cash lineup and I go, I would have not chosen this because it's doing <laughs> that, putting, throwing in a $3,600 player. That's right. very high variant just right. to get in Giannis. And I'm like, I'd much rather get this $4,800 guy and play this guy. But, like, over time, mathematically, if I trust the projections, this is the quote highest EV cash lineup, but the swings will be higher. But my peace of mind is some days I'll get lucky with it and sometimes I won't. But at least I don't have to think about it. I could just assess it three months from now. And it was uh, that's this past NBA season was my most profitable NBA cash season, even though my GPP play was kind of break even.
1: Yeah, I'll say I I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned it just now. I think the only times I've really tried to do the cash and GPP at the same time was during NBA, which would probably be why it was a problem for me, because that's the one sport where I do my own. I, I use my own projections for NBA. And so I think that that kind of is where I would screw up in cash is like it's easy for me to just be like a little bit higher or lower on somebody that, you know, the field feels very differently about. And I would end up just taking like a stand I didn't really want in cash. Because I'm just using my own stuff and it's going to be different. Whereas in tournaments, that's great. You know, if I'm slightly different on somebody, that that's good. Or even if I make like a slight mistake in something, um, you know, it's fine in tournaments because I'm going to be different. But in cash, like it just kills you. So I now that you mentioned it, I think that is actually kind of where I was making mistakes because like I, I wasn't leaving myself time to go through and say like, okay, wait, do I really want this guy that I you know him by a little bit and that's throwing everything else off. Whereas in the other sports. Like, like you said, I'm not going to make that mistake because I'm just using optimals.
0: Right. So I, I guess I've just gotten lucky against you because I just looked at my rotor tracker. Uh, I, I have a 74% win rate against you in that. Overall? Overall. But most yes. of that came in this past NBA season because you were playing oh, Dash was- games. Right. That's what, that's <laughs> what I I'm, I'm just like. You mentioned that. I'm like, okay, let me let me let me. I know I've, I've been auto matched or something. Right. Because I'm not purposely. Taking people's games or anything it
1: sounds like you probably should be.
0: <laughs> right, maybe maybe I should be. Right. <laughs> well, it's, an, it's a it's a, a net profit of two hundred and one dollars. Average buy at twelve dollars and seventy eight cents. So, yeah. uh, minus the rake or whatever. So, so thanks thanks for the two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, and like,
1: but yeah, that's now when you mentioned it, that's kind of the issue that I, I was having, and it was it was interesting because it, it was almost it also was kind of just defeating the point that I was or the reason I was playing cash games anyway because I was playing. Like, I don't even think I was playing bad lineups. I was just playing contrarian lineups because I was using,
0: your, you know, nobody the, else. Right,
1: right. Yeah, nobody else is using my what I'm using. So they're just naturally contrarian, and I'm just like, wait, so now I'm playing cash games with huge swings and I'm playing tournaments with huge swings. Like, why am I doing this?
0: Right. If anything, you could take your own stuff and just, like, aggregate it with, like, all awesome most projections to, like, right. even it out. Right. But you notice people that do that. I mean, like... Oh, yeah. You have to note... I mean, if, if you take the time and you know the sources, like, I, I'll... There, there are plenty of people that I know do exactly—I mean, I'll just take four projection sources, aggregate them together, click the optimal button, and go, that's that, That's that's what that lineup is going to—I know who I'm—I know exactly what the lineup is going to be. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of people that do it. I think it's a matter of just figuring out which, which sources they're using. Or which weight they're putting on each—, each source. Right, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, a lot of times in, in NBA, DFS specifically, especially on the slates where— This guy's out, this guy's in, and, like, there's, like, two or three guys that are just, like... Like, if you're not playing them in cash games, you're... I don't know what you're thinking. Right. That you could essentially... Like, if you ran whatever projections you're looking at and look at, like, the top five, ten lineups, go, I'm going to see this lineup by a couple of people. I'm going to see this lineup by a couple of people. I think FanDuel NFL is very similar and we had you know obviously every NFL season especially on FanDuel as opposed to DraftKings where the pricing is is tighter uh we have we're going to have every week there's going to be some reddit thread or some twitter thing of the 37 people that are colluding against them because how <laughs> is it possible on a 13 game NFL slate that all these people have the same lineup and it's and and it's people that literally don't talk like i have that lineup also and like i did not like it's it's impossible not to come up with that lineup and they go how right. is it impossible like well cuz once you have the the three or four guys that are uh, so obviously underpriced and you're spending all your salary there's only so many places that you could possibly go. Typically typically the only difference is going to be a quarterback and defense or something like that or the right. third wide receiver and typically the de- oh did you take the $3500 defense or the $3200 defense? Did you did you take Josh Allen or did you go all the way up to Mahomes or something like, right, like that? exactly and then you get the
1: really fun Twitter threads where if people aren't playing the same lineup, they're cheating. But also if they are playing the same lineup, they're cheating <laughs> right. um, because they might or might not know each other.
0: Oh, no. The, three, the three-man the arguments are the best. Yeah. It, it just shows like, oh, they're cheating because they're playing the same lineup in three-mans. I go, no, that shows how stupid they are.
1: <laughs> right. It shows that they are probably working together to make a lineup, but they don't care about actually maximizing their UV. Or 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 they're not even working
0: together to make the they well, literally right, right, right. yeah <laughs> right. yeah but well, like
1: there's cases there there's cases where like we know that they are but they're not cheating you by playing the same lineup they're against you and they're, they're giving actually you two helping odds
0: yeah but so but that's exploitable that three man lobby oh, sure. is absolutely if you wanted to just make a living just exploiting the three man lobby like like you could fi- you could figure I can figure out lineup. lineups no problem
1: oh but, yeah I mean you can go all you do in like a 3 man if you're, you if you're playing against people that you know are going to either have the same lineup or a very similar lineup just find some 2v2 or something that is less than, you know, a 2 to 1 to lose and you're going to make money basically.
0: Right. And the more that they're, they're t- the more that they have the same lineup, it just it's auto profit at that point. Right. Right. So like in in those NFL fan duel whatever things, if you see a 5 man in the, you know, a $50 5 man and four guys have the same lineup like Lineup—they can't be collusion. That's actually the dumbest thing to do. Like they're doing it independent. They're building. They're being late. I, I describe it as they're. Most of the higher stakes players, high volume players, are more lazy than colluding or seemingly having similar lineups. Or it's more the fact of like, well, they're playing $120,000 in volume. So uh, if they're if they're duplicated in their $5 and $10 three mans, like how much time is it going to be worth it to? go individually and, and it's just right. and Empire makers entering everything. He's not right. giving you, a shit.
1: You're, you're making what you think is the best lineup. You're hitting plus one to everything in the lobby and you're moving on with your day. You're not going through to make sure that like
0: you don't know anyone else in your $10 dollars 3 man. But don't you think that for people that are playing less volume than that, that's, that's, you should be exploiting that. I mean, Eric sure, talks yeah. about it on this. I mean, why he, when he plays the, the, the luxury box in NFL or whatever, he goes, no, there's a lot of people that are just playing their cash lines. There's a lot of yeah. when 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 uh, Dalvin Cook's going to be 32% owned in in GPPs, like in the large field, he's going to be like 48, 52% owned. So it's like, like dude, I just have to find a two v two and a different stack and like they're not play These people are not playing bad lineups, and they're playing like a three thousand dollar entry contest, but they're playing three thousand as part. It's the same thing as me putting in like, oh, I'm going to play four thousand dollars in NBA cash but I'm also going to throw that lineup into a $12 single entry contest. It's not optimal, but it's not, is it worth my time to make a different, a $5 single entry lineup or a $12 single entry lineup and a, and a $3 single? Like, no, I'm just going to, if it gets there, it gets there. It's not optimal, but it only represents like a half a percent of my volume. So like on that scale, it makes sense. But if you're only playing $50 worth of volume, like then you should be spending the time to, Oh
1: yeah. To do yeah, and that. and that I mean, and that goes for all the sports too. Like when I had said I moved up in stakes after my recent uh, hot streak, I, I started playing like the two K or three K, fifteen hundred, whatever they were offering MLB, because I knew that you know, let's say it's a twenty-person field, there's like three or four people playing their cash lineup in baseball, you know, and it's just like it's it's going to be a good lineup, but, it, but basically my thinking was if I started out hot in this and kind of can not go on an immediate losing streak where, you know, I'm losing two and three K every single night in this, like, I know over time I can beat this, not because like I'm better than the people that are in it, but because they're just throwing their cash lineups in and it's baseball. And I can just not play their, you know, have a different team basically and and come out ahead over time. I didn't start hot. I lost money quick. And so I just stopped doing it. But like, that's (laughs) the case, even when you move down in stakes, like in the three mans and stuff, uh, basically it's, it's almost like if you're not, paying attention to who's in your three mans okay. you're really giving up an edge because you should be playing you know the best line if you can when you're playing against people that especially in you know nfl you're going to get people that like are just totally casuals and don't know what they're doing you should be playing the best line if you can but you also can make money against the good players by just you know finding a 2v2 or a 3v3 that um isn't that far off and is going to just beat them when they're they're duped which they're going to be a lot
0: right i mean and one one of the things that that I do, I mean, my whole approach in playing DFS is exploit exploitation of everyone else, is that, look look everywhere. I mean, like I I listen, to the MLB strategy show, on AwesomeO and that yeah. oh heresy! Oh my God, I have a show on Roto Grinders that I listen to an AwesomeO show. Oh my <laughs> God, because it's a good show and you talk about DFS in terms that you should be talking about DFS, right? Appreciate. It. Right, that this team has a, it's not it, this team has this percent chance it's going to be in mo- this percent of lineups. You know, is this positive leverage, negative leverage? You know, just like just general strategies and not like who's going to hit a home run today because who the fuck knows? This guy's a thirty-two percent chance. It's going to happen today. I don't know, but <laughs> based on the projections, he has a thirty-two percent chance. It's, I don't know. Is he going to be more than thirty-two percent done? Then fade him. There you go. Done. End of the story. Uh, but listening and seeing all the other content. Like that has to like that's more likely to affect how I play than like what like making my own projections or anything. like you make your own for NBA, and me, I'm just like, I can't build anything better than what's what's out there currently. Right. And my attitude is is that on a baseball slate, wouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense for me to, okay, well, I'm going to take a look at the Roto-Grinds projections. I'm going to take a look at the Bat projections. I'm going to take a look at most projections. I'm going to take a look at Daily Roto, I'm going to take a look because I know that other people are looking at it. Like, so even if I don't agree with it, even if I believe one source is better than the other, like I need to weigh ownership. So like I, they, they could be a slate in NFL. This happens like ETR established to run. Yeah. Like I, I have, to. it's, it's, it's the cost of doing business. To subscribe, yeah. Not, I think their content is good. So I mean that. Yeah, I, I subscribe pretty much everywhere. Like I don't, I don't even, I don't care about what people
1: say or write or talk about on shows. I just want the data and to know, you know, a people. There, there's a lot of people in this industry that build better projections than I possibly can. Um, and so I like you know seeing some of the data, but also just you know it gives you an idea of where people are going to go. Um, I, I've said it before too. Like I think you know I, I spent a lot of time like during the the quarantine, the COVID break. Kind of just working on my stuff in Excel where, you know, not, not projection models, but just stuff that I've built to sort of try and automate my tournament process to like account for a bunch of things and give me the lineups that I should play. I spent time on that. And to me, working on that kind of stuff is such a bigger opportunity for an edge at this stage of the industry, you know. Back in 2014, 2015 when I started, if I had been capable of building a good projection system, I would have printed money. Now everybody can pay, you know, you can get good projections for free. You can pay very little for them. That's not where the edge is really, I don't think, anymore. It's more about finding ways to utilize those and and leverage them in a way where your lineups are going to help you win. Like, I I think it's just kind of, there's still an edge in DFS. It's just moved in that direction away from, you know, just creating your own projections.
0: Right. I mean, the, the best two hours I've ever spent in my DFS career... Was building my little leverage MMA yep. thing. I was building lineups like that, but not as precise. I was using Lineup HQ or whatever, and then I'm like, like I'm I'm getting I'm still getting too many dupes. I'm still getting like I feel like I'm playing properly, and I'm getting steak knives. And I'm like, there's got to be there's got to be a better way. There's got to be yep. a, a more more precise way that I'm not I'm not trying to estimate stuff. It's like can I? It's just okay, I'm going to play less of this guy, but how much less of this guy should I be playing? How much... And auto, it's... I mean, it's not completely automated because I still have to add V lookups and, and right, drag right. and scrape data in, and James McCool is helping me with some of that stuff.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I still do all mine copy and paste. Right, and right. Just, but I'm
0: saying, to me, it's easier to just... Like, I know it's correct if I just... Right. If I just go to best fight odds and just move, just like, type it yeah, in, exactly. I'll do this every day, right? I, I know that uh, I could do it that way, but I would love to to save the extra, you know, hour total... So right. I could just look at something at four o'clock before a slate and just kind of do it like that. But to me, you're right; those are the types of things. But doesn't it frustrate you then that, like, I believe that the get it's it's weird to say there are a lot of sharper players that are like the edges is, is lowering. I think I think that the 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 skill gap is widening. I th- I th- I think from from uh, a cat like I think. In 2012, 2014, that era, the non, I consider that the non-projection era, right? Right. Where there was no—people had projections, it's just they, you didn't know who they—they they, they were they were to you. They were, right. you know, that type, you know, wasn't publicly available. So, because so much of the field was going by feel, like, the difference between skillful players and average players—like, the bad players were bad players. I'm going to put in a guy that's not even in the, the starting lineup. Like, yeah, you're losing. Uh, And you, and you, and average players could beat those guys back then, but the feel people, the watch the tape people, those types of, I know baseball and I don't have to look at, I don't have to care about math or strategy or whatever. This guy's on a hot streak. This guy is three for four off the pitcher, you know, like that type of stuff. Like that could still win in 2014 because there were enough bad players that like you still had enough. The average player had enough common sense. Now you moved to 2017 2018, now we start getting, you know, fantasy cruncher and projection systems that are available, typically for purchase, even the... Yeah, obviously back in 2015, you had Basketball Monster, which was like a cheat code, right? Right, because right, you could just... I didn't play back then, but that's what I heard. Uh, I, yeah, I played, I didn't use it, but um, yeah, it was, it was around. Right, but in 2017, 2018, now the average players that knew better are like, how do I step up my game? and they started using projections that they weren't making but it made them much better than average players but the players below them never are still field players and are still still who you know 1v1 type of questions and now it's 2021 the projections have just gotten even better the tools we have simulation tools now we have stuff like you know like the the top stacks tool the top, you know and and all of this type of stuff and the people that are using that type of stuff are typically the people that already were on board in 2017 with the projections. But we still have the the the, the user base of these feel casual. I don't want to call them casual. These are people that literally they'll play every day, but are building are building one off lineups in baseball. Are not running back stacks in football. Are not looking at any data and just going. I think that uh, this team sucks. I'm going to play this guy versus this team. I still, I think that the percentage of the user base on, on, on these sites are as big as they ever were. And these new tools are just making, now there's more of that top. Like like some, someone like Alex back in 2017 is way more profitable than he is in 2021, but he's still right. profitable. But the a, the average player, like if you stay on your average length, you're just losing more and more money oh, yeah. until you step up. So I think that gulf. yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, you can see you can actually
1: see it in my roto tracker because and the way I view it as someone that you know came up playing tournaments, um I started playing I started like having success at the end of 2015, had a bunch of success beginning 2016, and I was building lineups by hand, you know, kind of just thinking in terms of like I, I understood how to be contrarian and I understood Uh, You know, I didn't have ownership projections, but I understood, you know, like this player is going to be popular. I can play this guy at the same salary and he has the same ceiling, even if he's not quite as good a play. I understood that's what I wanted to do. And I could make a lot of money in like 2015, 2016 because projections weren't readily available. There weren't that many people that were making legitimately good lineups. And whatever projections, you know, whatever players people were landing on to be the chalk, it was just not typically that Good. So I was able to just you know completely destroy those. Then 2017, 2018, I just started getting wrecked because everyone gets access to better projections. So the chalk becomes better. They're playing guys that they actually should be playing. And my approach is still basically just play low owned guys, uh, stay away from the field. And it was really difficult for me to be still to, to make lineups that had a good chance at competing now that everyone else is using or a lot of people are using good projections that are getting them on good plays. And then late twenty eighteen, early twenty nineteen, coinciding with me actually me going to Osimo and getting to pick Alex's brain a little bit more and kind of plugging some holes, it was it kind of clicked for me like, oh, okay, so you need to come up with a way where you still want to play contrarian, but you need to accept that projections are good now. It's not as easy as just saying, oh, okay, everybody's going to play this guy. Everybody's wrong most of the time. Just play this guy instead. You have to have some sort of, ma- of basis for, like, yeah, a lot of the chalk these days is actually going to be pretty good. And you need to find ways to still make contrarian lineups around that. And then I got back to, you know, winning and, and putting up pretty good results. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. It's kind of, there's still that, there, there's definitely still that group of people who I think kind of just got left in like 2017, 2018 and, and you know, haven't really adjusted.
0: Yeah, but as, as a as a content creator, like, yeah, maybe I, we have very, sim- maybe similar personalities on Twitter. I, I'm, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm as much of an asshole as people think that I am, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm either. Right. But, like, I just, to me, I just don't put up, I mean, I don't know. I, maybe it's because I'm from New York. I just don't put up with it. Like, I just, like, either I'm going to teach you how to play the right way or, like, feel free to get stuck in the past. It just, like, like you do, you do these shows and that's why i say the strategy show is great because uh there's there's no interaction with people but i mean like so you could you and greg or you and josh or whatever can talk about dfs where if you listen to the whole show i'm guarantee i guarantee you've got you probably gotten uh negative comments from i listened to the whole show and you never told me who you liked. Oh yeah, yeah. Right but i'm saying but that's not how you play dfs like right, like yeah, it's for a sure. game it's... of probabilities. But those to me, those are the people that there's still a huge amount. And these are people that still pay for content. Yet yet there's there's so much stuff that like that doesn't matter. Like right. it's I'm trying to get down to the stuff that matters. And yes, there's 80% of this content is useful, but most of it is already accounted for in the projections. So if you want to know why someone is projected high, here's some information for you. But to spend I, I people have emailed me and asked like how how much uh, you do this full time how much uh, uh, how much time do you spend per day uh, researching a baseball slate I go uh, <laughs> to forty minutes yeah I mean, uh, long it
1: takes me to write the article
0: <laughs> right, right right you're right but I mean I'm not even doing that right right you have to do that because you're writing some some piece of content but if, like if I if, like I show up it's when 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 are, when are all the lineups but but uh, the Angels in on an MLB slate or the right. Dodgers or something because typically they're late. And then it's like, okay, now now I could start... Like, well, you didn't look throughout the course of the day. Of, like, no, why?
1: Right. Like, all the work like is i done... I, I used me. to. Like, I used to. I used to dig into, you know, as much stuff as I could back when I was hand-building lineups and trying to, you know, find angles to be contrarian. And I think that was fine back then. But again, then you got to, like, 2017, 2018, where it was just like, yeah, me doing that isn't beating people's projection systems. I need to find a different way around it. I don't know. The way I... It's always weird to me that people either take their take the time or or pay money or both to consume content, but they do it with the mindset of like I'm gonna consume this content because I think this person's going to agree with me more so than like I'm paying money or taking time to like learn. And I don't know that that's kind of how I view like producing content, even when it comes to like writing articles. Like in DFS, I don't think typically you're going to be able to just take some article from the afternoon and make good lineups off of it. But I think that there's still, if you're someone trying to learn, I think that there's value. And, and so like, you know, when I write, I'll try and include stats that I think are useful. Like you said, you know, explaining why a person projects well. So that like, if you're someone that wants to say, you know, okay, and this is kind of, you know, how I learned DFS, you know, from like roto grinders back in the day was, you know, watching shows and be like, okay, this is what these guys are looking at. This is what they're talking about. If I want to be able to figure stuff out for my own on my own, this is where I would start. So like, I think that's where articles are useful, but the whole like, uh, yeah, you know, pick between player a and player B, uh, and you know, that's how you win at DFS. It's just so weird to me that people like cling to that mindset.
0: Yeah. But that's, that's the mindset from 2014, 2015. Right. It's, it's from back then. But I, the, it, the, to me, the articles back in, back in 2017, uh, cause I started in 2015. I used the articles. Like I started getting to NBA and I would leave read notorious, you know, grind down. Yep. And to me, that was I consider I called it the am I crazy content. Of like, right. like I could I could look at a slate and go, okay, this guy's underpriced, that guy's underpriced, this is gonna this, and you develop a cash game lineup, right? Because these are the best plays from a medium right. perspective, but not necessarily the best from a strategic perspective. But at least I could identify that. So to me, the first step of being a good GPP player Is you need to be able to, if you can't build a good cash lineup, how are you ever going to be a good GPP player? Because if you don't know how to leverage off the chalk, if you don't know what the chalk is. Right. Right? So to me, those are what the articles are. The articles are, here's the chalk, here's the cash lineup. But so many people view that as, those are the best plays, and that's how I win a million dollars.
1: Yeah, exactly. I... I I kind of learned how to build, like, a good lineup the same way. And then I remember, you know, back at the time on Rotor Grinders, it was uh, DC and Hefe. Like, they had a tournament show. And I was like, man, these guys think the way I think. And they're good at explaining what they're, they're thinking. And so, to me, it wasn't like, I don't care if they like this player that I don't like or vice versa. It's just thinking, like, hearing how they think about approaching a slate from a tournament perspective. And that helped me a lot. And it got to where I would literally, I, I was still in law school at the time. I can remember just sitting like sitting at my computer and I would like by hand just write out like basically what I thought the best lineup was like what my cash lineup I guess would be and then saying okay like what do I think the two or three weakest pieces of this lineup are what alternatives are in that price range and at that position that um give you you know we're gonna take the same similar number of shots or give me the same ceiling or whatever and then just switch those guys out in a few different ways and throw them into the tournaments like that was how I played tournaments back then and you know, it was from learning from articles and shows the way that people thought that were successful um, as opposed to, you know, just listening to like, oh, yeah, he thinks this is a good play. I should play him.
0: Right. I mean, and same way that I learned from Bales pretty much. Right. Like, I mean, that's – I mean, anything that anything that I say about game theory is not like I didn't make any of this up. Like, I just happened to be the one that put it together, but I'm not like – People are like, oh, oh, you're taking credit for something that Bales said seven years ago. It's like, well, Bales didn't even make it up either. Like, this right. is something yeah, from I, 100 years ago. I mean, this is game theory. That's not <laughs> Right, yeah, I, I, I took this class in college before I knew what DFS was. Right, right. I mean, uh, same thing, Neil deGrasse Tyson, it's like he didn't make up physics. He's just communicating. <laughs> he's just t- he's a, the teacher, right? There's that, nothing like that. But do you think, one thing I've noticed, okay, over the past month, we, we both know that over the court, that the softest games typically start at the beginning of the seasons. And as it goes on, basically bad players lose too much money and yep. they're gone. And that's especially true with cash games, right? Because a lot of times bad players don't even play cash games, right? right. They want to play, I want to put in $8 and try to win 10000 and they don't right. care about double-ups. Uh, one thing I've noticed over the past month, especially, I don't know if you have or I'm seeing things because I've not done... Uh, Actually, any data analysis on this, I've done purely based on feel, and especially since I study every slate after, after every day anyway. So, like, uh, do you do you notice that? Uh, and this is the main. This goes on to the thing of why I subscribe to uh, establish the run for football. Yeah. Uh, are Are you noticing that uh, the highest leverage stacks in the Awesome stacks tool are becoming way more owned because people look and see that they're the highest. Like we said, we had a baseball slate yesterday where the Yankees were uh, were projected to be like like uh, the, the worst the worst stack to play, and they actually came in lower ownership than I even projected them to be. And I'm like, had I known that, I would have not just xed them out completely because I was only playing nine lineups. But yeah. there was also another slate I, a I'm couple of days ago. days ago. W- what? It happened with the Braves. a few Yes, days that's ago. exactly what I was saying with the Braves. Like the Braves. Oh, if they're going to be four percent owned. I'm gonna play like a. T- I played 150 lineups, and I played like 25 percent of them, and then go in, and they're they're the chalk. <laughs> like, yep. I'm like, how the f- screw hell? But then I noticed that theme of like, well, obviously certain content providers, especially this dog days of summer in August, these large field tournaments where people are playing 150 lineups, 100 lineups, they have to be looking at this type of stuff, and it's like now you have to play the meta game of. Are people going to overreact to that? And at that point, I go, "There's no edge, and why? Why, am I, why don't I just save my money to NFL?"
1: Yeah, it's kind of turning into like it, it almost feels like poker. Um, just you know, the like like you get to the next level where it's like, okay, well now they're at level two, so I need to play at level three. Um, but yeah, but have it's you kinda, noticed,
0: had, Is it not just me? Is it? Am I saying something that's not like? No, no, you're you're, you're right. Like it's it's felt like more often. It's felt more often
1: recently where. It's just been like the slate starts and I messaged someone, you know, like, well, OK, I just played this slate terribly because everything that I thought was going to happen isn't happening. Like, it's, it's just wrong. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, the Braves was the perfect one the other day. Like even like doing the shows and stuff like I'm looking at, at it and I'm just like, man, I know like it makes complete sense why they're projected to be low owned because like they were way more expensive than the Yankees. And it was like the same spot, basically. And it was like, OK, this makes a lot of sense. I'm also a little concerned because I'm not sure it's going to play out this way, but whatever. And then the slate starts and it's like Freddie Freeman, 28%. Ozzie Albies, 20%. I'm just like, all right, I I may as well just lit my money on fire tonight. Right.
0: But I mean, but to me, it comes down to like, that's people are looking at the right things. Yeah. People are thinking the same way. And if you, it, it comes down to like the, the stupid, like how, how smart do you have to be type of question? If, I'm not saying that you're stupid, but if this Joe Schmo could in a second go, well, the Braves are obviously under own compared, like right. how many other people are thinking that? And especially in large field contests with 150 maxers, that's going to be compounded. And if everyone's using this, and especially with people that are aggregating ownership. So now none of the ownership is being affected. This is very similar on the on the uh, last episode, talking to Nerdy Tenor. Like his his process is built around having that type of thing that metagame inside of his simulations right of how much of the field is going to react to the fact that this team is too low on so it could find that equilibrium now he has it all automated and i'm never going to be able to make anything yeah, close to what he could do right. uh but you have to like in nfl this first week this first month of nfl we don't have to think like like i mean like oh, right yeah exactly like, it's just that it's so noticeable. It's 20, It's August of 2021 in the, at towards the end of a baseball season where baseball was never... Even, basketball is more popular with casuals than baseball oh, yeah. is. And it's already gotten to the point where, like, you have to go to the third level, uh, which is still beatable. It's just that in six years of playing DFS, I've, I've never really gotten to this point. You will see it sometimes in the high, high stakes. Because mm-hmm. Eric will talk about... Well, uh, everyone's going to play the Cowboys, so I'm not going to play this team, and then end the Cowboys end up going under-owned, and the Chiefs go over-owned because everyone right. moved there. But that's, but that's always only the a joke. small, like, set of the user base. But I've never seen large field stuff right. where I'm like, I'm going to jam in the Braves at low ownership, and then end up <laughs> end up playing the chalk in all my lineup.
1: Right. Yeah, that's kind of like the running joke in live finals. There's always going to be like one just stupid play that ends up being like five times as popular as they should be because everyone lands on the same contrarian play. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting to me because I've always thought that, you know, if DFS is around, you know, let's say DFS is around forever. You know, people have talked about it being solved in cash games. I think cash games get to the point where they're, they're not beatable, you know, or beating the rake at least. I've always thought tournaments there will be an edge because even kind of like you had seen in poker tournaments – Things just shift like you'll you'll eventually get to where everyone is playing good contrarian lineups so you can actually just play the best lineups and be contrarian. And not to say that we're there now, but I think it's definitely as close to that as we've ever gotten to where, you know, there have been a lot of slates lately where it's just like, man, if I just completely ignored ownership and just played whatever lineups I want, I actually would have a better set of lineups than I do based on what I built for this tournament.
0: Well, it all depends on how how much you weigh. Like the projections around the injury, whether or not, like I, I put in my own, like I adjusted, ma- like I, I literally adjusted manually. It's not scientific right. at all. I mean, I could just, I could, I just from experience of playing, going, especially for pitchers and go. Yeah, say pitchers, I mess with pitchers, I leave hitters alone. Right. But I mean, it's like the stack tight. Like I go, I look at a, right. I look at a stack, and the RG ownership is like uh, this stack's going to be, you know, I see the batters six, four, three, one, one. I go, this is more going to be like ten, twelve. Like right. this, this team has a five point six implied run total. I know they're slightly more expensive, but so everyone's going to jam in fifty nine hundred dollars, Carlos Hernandez or something, and they'll be able to play this team. So like, like there's no way they're going to be that low owned. So you change, so you change it, and you go, okay, you adjust it based on that. But most people don't do that, so I, I think right, a lot right. of times that's how that's how those those wild discrepancies happen, where everyone thinks they're playing the low owned stack and it ends up being the second highest owned one on a fourteen game slate.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, and that's something like I, I typically don't. Uh, I, I'll I guess I'll have to start. Um, kind of glad that you brought that up because I'd been thinking about it. I was like, man, do I like do I start, you know, kind of just manually adjusting things like that? Or am I crazy? And like, this is just, you know, it, it seems like it, it was one of the things I thought about because it, it was like, I'm, I'm, I've been losing. Maybe I'm just like noticing things that aren't really there, you know, like that I'm playing bad, you know, kind of bad lineups every other night based on ownership. But uh, yeah, I, I do think we, we've seen that for sure.
0: Yeah, because, but, you, but your process of when you, when the slate locks, you look at this ownership and you go, I just lit my money on fire. Yep. it's very similar to how I describe on the on the pregame show of when you review your slate afterwards. Your goal is to say, "Had I known this information, would I have played these lineups?" So what you're essentially saying is, "Had I known the Braves were going to be the chalkiest team on the slate, I wouldn't have had 25 percent of them." So right. obviously, it, if the Braves went off and put up 20 runs, the mis- it's still your mis- it's, it's still a mis- mistake. It's right. still a mistake. You would have won fifty thousand right. dollars knowing that. Wow! If I had known this information, I wouldn't have played this way. Like that's what you should be judging yourself by, right? Not not the oh, yeah. not the re- Oh, but what? Because you'll get the response back from a lot of people. It's like, yeah, but they were. Well, what happens if they do well? I said, yeah, you lose, right? <laughs> or, or, or or vice versa, right? Like yesterday's slate, we had a slate where, like, I was only playing a couple of lineups, and I'm like, instead of trying to figure out if the Yankees are going to be under, like, I, I know they're going to be owned. I know the Astros are going to be owned. Uh. I know these two, I know it's Lynn and uh, the two pitchers in this game are going to be owned. So since I only have nine lineups, I'm just going all in with the complete opposite. Just like, right. just, just what's the easy, what is the easiest path to first that I know that I could get? Okay, I'm going to, st- I'm going to stack the White Sox against Manoa. I'm going to stack the Blue Jays against Lynn. I'm going to play Inoa, the pitcher, against the Yankee stack that I predict to be the highest, right? right? I would have played, probably played Lynch had I known the Astros going to be that high. Uh, and then that and... I don't have to think anymore because there's no way for me to be directionally not accurate there. Like I may right. be off by Manoa's not 55% though. And he's 48%. He's still the highest on pick. Like, I'm not going to be like, it's still gonna It's going to be a high variance. I mean, it's going to be like, either I'm going to win or lose all my money, which turned out I lost all my money. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was
1: on the same spots as you.
0: Right. So, <laughs> but, but like, that's so much easier than to me, if you learn how to play that way, we have people in the RG Discord that are like, oh, "I'm trying to play 150 lineups. Tell me the magical optimizer settings." Because there's always magical yeah, yeah. optimizer. Yeah. How set- many? How many needs, How much randomness? Right. right, exactly right. <laughs> right. Like, like, like that matters. Uh, and 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 they're not they're not getting the concepts of how to build one good lineup. Right. And now they're trying to scale and compound their errors. So I said, "Why don't you just start with what's who's the highest on pitcher stack against them?" It's like, so you want me to stack the Diamondbacks against Jacob Degrom? I go probably that's negative EV, but I'd rather you err towards that side as far as conceptually thinking about GPP than try to think about uh, what chalk pieces to play, right? Right. Who's good chalk and who's bad chalk? It's like, we don't know until after the slate, but we do know that this pitcher is going to be 50% owned and the batters are, are absolutely directly negatively correlated to it. So now your goal is to... Now you've learned the stacking against the Grum. Now you've learned to play the chalk things together that almost no first place equity. Now find the balance in there. Right. Yeah, like it's just like thinking about
1: it in terms of payoffs. If you make a bad play that is low owned and you get really lucky, you're going to get paid really well. If you make a bad play that's really popular and you get really lucky, you're still probably not going to get paid that well. So like kind of and then, you know, as you get better and more experienced, you start to figure out exactly what low own plays you should be getting to and you know you can avoid stacking against the grom but you know yeah i think that that's it it, to me it's kind of similar like with poker you could be way too aggressive but it was better to come in with that mindset and adjust down towards being like a tighter player than to be like a tight player and try and have to learn how to play aggressively because like it's just it, it was it was so hard for those people to do and there was so much more money to be made at least you know back in you know the 2009 2008 uh by, by being aggressive it's kind of that's how i view it like i think it's been a lot easier being someone that was willing to just play way too contrarian to come in and like have to tone that down and be like okay like you don't have to go that crazy then to be someone that is you know like oh well what if the 25 percent owned braves do well and i don't play them it's like yeah you know who cares
0: well i think people get lulled because it is another mindset that is hard is hard to teach because it seems counterintuitive uh Cause I mentioned it. Cause I mean, I, I get DMs. I get, I mean, I answer emails. i I know you, you unless, unless someone's sending you nudes that you ain't answering their DMs yeah. uh, <laughs> or at least a good podcast recommendation.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Send me money or try and go on a date with me, you
0: know, but other than that, I'm probably not answering. Right. But people, people like in, in the aspect of the more contrarian you play, the more profitable you'll be in the long run, but the more likely you'll lose. Yeah, Like that that mentality. So when people play too safe, which I think is the biggest edge for people like us. Like that's how we make money. We make money not off the lineups of people that forgot to enter a lineup or putting injured players in. We make the money off the people that are essentially playing cash lineups in GPPs, lineups that don't have much first place win equity. Uh, That people get lulled by, I'm going to play the best plays, get different in one spot, but like that's still not enough. Right. Well, but they cash often. Like they cash often enough that it's like, oh, well, I came in a hundred and seventy-eighth place and got a four X or something. It's like, okay, not bad. I'm work. I'm getting there. Not realizing that like the hundred and seventy-eighth place that that was like the ceiling of that lineup. Like right, you exactly. ain't getting past there. And they're winning often enough that at the end of the season they're down like six percent. But it feels like they've won. Like like oh four out of seven days, I, it feels like I win. I win. Right. money because yeah, they won. That, like good. You get that good feeling, but there's right. no money. That comes with right. it. Right. There's the right. Exactly. And then you look at someone like me, and I go, oh, let me let me show you my stats from the the 2019 season. Uh, it's like I played uh, every baseball slate up to the beginning of September, and I lost money in 94% of them. And, I go, <laughs> and they go, they go, then how, how, you're a profitable player. It's like, yeah, I made forty thousand dollars. Right. Right. And they go, how the hell did you do that? Yeah, because in the six percent of times that I won. I, it was a top five score. Like, that's... Right, exactly. Like, you actually won. Right, you actually won. But you have to be able to go through and go, uh, yeah, I'm not going to... Like, cashing... Like, how... Other than from a sustainability perspective. Like, how, how much do you care about, like, one5 x a lineup? Yeah, literally, I, I don't.
1: Um, <laughs> and like you said, you know, sustainability. Like, yeah, I, if, I, if I'm losing... If I'm making 0% every slate, I'm going to go broke pretty quickly. But um, outside of that, you know, yeah, if I... If I like, yeah, you know, if I make like $900 on a slate, I just kind of consider it even. And if I lose $900, I consider it even, you know, if I lose a couple thousand, that doesn't feel great. If I win a couple thousand, it feels okay. But yeah, it's, you know, if I 1.5X, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I broke even today on the to tomorrow. If I lose 40%, you know, yeah, okay, I broke even on the to tomorrow.
0: Right, right. As long as it's, as long as something, sometimes you get the nine minus 90% right. and you're just like, like, okay, you know, I'm going to have That's to dig a- out of that. <laughs> right. Uh. But for, for, it's, it seems like from, from a content perspective, because we're both content creators. Sure. So I think there's a, there's a, there's, how do you reconcile the fact of like, I, I can listen to the MLB strategy show and what you're saying is like most of the time I'm, I'm agree I mean, like I'm agreeing with you, right? Like, Oh, if this team's going to be this owned and I'm going to, I'm more likely to do this. Yeah. But of course, that's early in the morning. Sometimes the pitcher changes. The lineups change. Obviously, we're looking at different projections, so maybe it's like, you know, you, you have a, This guy's going to be 22% done because he projects as the second best, and I'm looking at, like, the bat, and I'm like, the bat fucking hates him. Right? right? Like, like you know, something like that, and maybe it won't be. Uh, but other than that, what you're... To me, I think we what we both approach it as is that our job is to give people the possibilities and the different... People have a hard time uh, understanding that there you could, at a, you could play 150 lineups and I could play 150 lineups and they could all look different and our 150 lineups all have like the same, around the same expected value. Like you decided to go 100% Alec Manoa and I went 100% Chicago White Sox. Right. And our lineup sets, if we played this out a million times, we'd end up with the same amount of money. And right. it's like, it just comes down to which one do you want to do? Now, there may be thousands, ten thousands of lineups that are unprofitable and at different extents. Obviously, ones that leave out, you know, pinch hitters and stuff, they're way at the bottom. But I believe that, like, I do the advanced sports analytics show for for NFL, and the number one thing is, how come you don't tell me, like, who what stacks you're going to play? I'm like, no, we're just going through game by game, going, going. if you were to play this this game, this would be a a good approach because it would be contrarian from this type of lineup construction. But like I've given you 20 options. I don't know which one is the, like, like they're all so close to one another that as long as you do one of these 20 things, you're probably going to be better profitable on average. Uh, You approach that on the, on the, on the strategy shows very similarly, but how do you get away from the, well, which like, like, what we have uh, like cheese, especially uh, Dave Potts, yep, yep. A lot of t- a lot of times he'll write a, he'll, he writes his article, and he'll mm-hmm. win on FanDuel with a lineup that like is like the worst play on this like because he says said if I play 150 lineups, I have a, I have at least one of every stack, right? But it goes against like the people that, that that we're talking about those casual, average, regular players that are like, well, which teams do you like? It's like, well there's a probability for any team to go off or anything. And if you're building a diversified strategy, you most likely have a little bit of everyone. It comes across as, well, you don't have any conviction off of, off of anything. Right. And so how, how do you do a show? How do you respond and do a show where, where you'd be like, picture that time, the Braves are going to be underowned. I'm going to be a lot, a lot over them. And then next thing you know, Maybe later in the day, that ownership comes up. And on the show, like six hours later, you're talking about how little Braves that you have. And then someone's listening going, what made you, what stats did you look at that right. made it that you like the Braves in the morning and not the Braves in the evening? And the real stat that you're looking at is ownership. But that has nothing to do with baseball.
1: Oh, yeah. it's So I actually, I really like that we, or at least the shows that I'm on are the game by game because it makes it a little bit, easier for me not to get caught up in, you know, Oh, I like this guy. Cause that, that was one of the hardest things for me when I started doing content was then, especially when I was still building my hand was to do a show where, you know, I have to talk about the best plays on the slate. And then I have to go hand build a contrarian lineup <laughs> after spending the day saying what the best plays are. Um, right. Was... And then, then
0: you'd get the conspiracies of uh-huh. they're giving you the back. Be- they're trying to uh, m- manipulate the market. It's like, right. well, no, cause you're not playing double ups. So you right. probably aren't going to be playing some of these best plays because you want them to fail
1: yeah I, I still remember um writing an nba article i ended up winning the slam or whatever on Fanduel, and i had it was like ursan Ilyasova and some other just terrible like min salary power forward and literally all i had done i played like one lineup that night put in like all the guys i really wanted and had minimum salary left to power forward which was like a really weak position and i basically just said like whatever these guys are gonna play maybe i'll get lucky i got lucky i won and i had people on twitter you didn't even mention him in your article like blah 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 i'm like Man, if I was mentioning Ursan Ilyasova in this article, you should never read it again. <laughs> like, he was not a good play. That's not, you know, he was the weakest part of the lineup. But, yeah, so I, going game by game I think makes it a little bit easier because it does at least allow me to, to, to like you were saying, you know, kind of say, like, if I were to stack this team, I would go about it in this way as opposed to, you know, just going through and saying, like, oh, the best team on the slate is X, Y, Z. So I think that helps a little bit. And I think it's also, like, I don't know, the more I've done it, the more you know the more I've done shows and, and written I've just kind of started to care less about that you know it's kind of I think I present content in a way where if you grasp DFS well enough to be a winning player eventually you understand what I'm talking about and what I'm doing
0: and if you don't you don't but that's kind of not my problem also right, right. that but I guess that's a very similar approach that I try to yeah. take of, of like if you, if you don't get it you don't get it I'm sorry like Right. Like, like I'll be more than happy to try and
1: explain it to you. You know, like if people in YouTube chat say something that I don't think makes sense, I don't want to belittle them. But if I think I can, like, quickly explain why what they said doesn't matter, I will. But, you know, after that, it's still on them. You know, it's, right. to, to me, I am doing what I can to talk through the slate to people that are at a point where they have some chance of success. Right. Right. Um, some well, a lot of times you
0: start trying to explain things and you, I get to, I get to, the very grand, like very basic stuff. And it's like, like I, I give the coin flip example or, or, or die example. Right. It's like, I, the first thing I need to check is, it, does this person understand expected value? And if they don't make that right choice on which bet to take, I'm like, I might as well just end it here. Cause if you don't even, if you don't even get that, you shouldn't be laying two to three in a coin flip versus seven to one on a, on a six sided die roll. Well, right. I'm gonna get the coin flip right more. Like, okay, then we're like this. How am I gonna get into any of these other concepts if you don't get what a what a plus EV right. bet is to begin with? Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, and it's not it's not to you know
1: not that, like I'm smarter than anybody, but like I get this. Some people don't. Like, there, there's a ton of things that people just naturally don't get. There's a ton of stuff I don't understand at all that you know other people. It, it's natural to them. Um. So you know, yeah. Like, there's just some. I I just kind of. I've gotten to where I, I understand there's a section of people who at this point in time could not build a winning DFS lineup no matter what, basically. So Well they, they could,
0: they just they get lucky. It'd be, it'd well, be something well, right. unintentional.
1: Like, right. They they couldn't consistently build a lineup that would be expected to win because the you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to them even if you explain it.
0: Right. Or or when I say lineup's not players and then their heads explode. Right, right exactly. Right. So, well, should I play this player? It's like, well you'd should I play the chalkiest player on the slate? It's like I would play them if they're highest projected in the in the contrarian lineups and in the right, non-contrarian exactly. lineups. Don't play that guy. Right. And they're like, like no, yeah, but they're, I, they're I not asking ask, that. They're asking, right, should I play I, that? Who is that guy going to do well? I don't know. Right. Well, like, yeah. Like I look through my
1: lineups and it's like, oh, I have a twenty percent owned Aaron Judge, but he's with a stack that's you know 08 percent owned. Yeah, cool. That's
0: that's what I would like. Right. But no one gives you the context of that. What did you, you say? No one gives you the context. That's that's, right. that's the thing. No one gives you the context. It's like, how am I supposed to answer this question? There is no right, answer exact- to this question. Yeah, like there there are times that I'll pull up, um, you know, like I'll,
1: I'll upload my CSV on DraftKings, and then I'll pull up my exposures in, in Fantasy Cruncher, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, the Yankees are projected to be way over-owned, and I'm still like, even with the field on Aaron Judge, I wonder why. And then I go through my lineups, and it's like, oh, because I'm way overweight on this 1% owned stack, so now I just have a bunch of Yankees.
0: right. Exactly, uh, do you get do you get uh, talking going back to the the magic optimizer settings, the magic the magic setting yeah. uh, that this uh, especially because you guys over there use Fantasy Cruncher, which I I vocally don't will never will never use. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's a bad it's a bad software. I, I, yeah, I yeah I think it's great software. It, it's it's more personal to me that I'm yeah, going to yeah, give sure. a certain person money. Uh, and I could do just as much as I could do anything that I could accomplish. I could do with lineup HQ or labs right. is optimizers. Is fine. There's, there's daily roto. And they could get everything. It, as long as you're not doing anything that you're, cause you're, you're used to one thing for so long. That, I was gonna say familiarity, I think is the biggest thing. Right. Uh, so like, I, I don't want to come across as like, no, I, you should never use FC. It's just like, I, it's, 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 it's kind of kind of like not giving money to, I'm not going to eat a certain food because of some, you know, like whatever. It's a personal right. choice of mine. Uh that people jump in to like, like that. I I, I tweeted about it the other time. It's all over the field, under the field type of thing. Like, like you mentioned, right. the reason why you're, you were over on judge is because you're playing lineups that have 1% on stacks in them. And that's the reason you didn't, you didn't purposely say, I want to be over the field on judge. You just ended there because of your exposure to some other team, but if someone else would look at that and go, well, you have 30% judge. I'm going to put into my optimizer 30% judge. They could end up with lineups where judge is in the, the chalkiest stacks. And those lineups, while you you could, I, I've told people, said, especially on the smaller slates, said I could show you, if I build 150 lineups, I'll show you my exposures. You put those exact exposures and don't change any of your settings on on, on lineup HQ and put those as the maxes, you will get the exact same exposures as me, yet your lineups won't be anywhere near my lineups. Right. So what's the purpose of like over the field, under the field, oh I was sick I, I, I was 60% on this guy. And then I I look in results DB and look at his lineups. I go, these lineups are awful. Yeah you were on the you're right. You were 60% on the guy that hit double two home runs. But you know the reason why you didn't win first place? Because they were all it you, yes, they were all in bad lineups. Actually, the lineups that you needed them in, you never got them in. You actually that. The, so, how I don't know what you do behind the scenes at Osimo to teach people about Fantasy Cruncher, but it. Do you believe that I? I believe that they're. I, I believe ninety percent of people that use optimizers are actually doing themselves a disservice by using one, that they have not learned how to scale build. Like you said, you built hand-built lineups in 2015. That's what I did, right? Yeah. And then you learned to build five. Then you learned to build 10. Then you learned the dynamics of, well, if I have a lot of this expensive hitter, I'm going to have to have a lot of cheap catchers. And if I'm going to have this pitcher combination of two studs, I'm going to need a cheap stack. Like, you could visualize that in your head so you know that, like, I'm not going to be surprised when I get a cheap ranger stack in 30% of my lineups because I want to jam into and Bieber. Like, that's the only way that that happens and if I know that a lot of people are doing that, now I have to find a different way of doing that. But that's not all based on, like, people start to think that, oh, you're going to go in, and and in basketball especially, when there's no correlation, right, right much, and you go, okay, I want 50% Beal, I want 40% this, I want 30% that, and then, like, if I, and I want 10% randomness, I want three uniques, and it's like, <laughs> if I if they just told me what the magic numbers were, like, right. I could just put in their magic numbers the next slate, and it's like, well, I care about the lineups. Like, you could even put the same magic numbers in and get the different and get lineups that are way worse than mine. Right. Because I'm not building them by just like willy-nilly. Because we well, get that clumping problem. You get that all your chalk pieces are in th- these lineups and all your contrarian pieces are in those lineups. And I've seen people's builds that try to like the mini max people send me their minimax builds. And they go, What am I doing wrong? I've been playing and I look at them and I go, a lot of times that's the problem. like. Yeah, you're right. You have 50% of this pitcher and 50% of that pitcher, but the two-truck pitchers, they're all in the same lineups together, and you're playing the Pirate Stacks with the two contrarian stuff, and the the expensive Soto one off at 2% because you never considered your lineups. You just look for some magic, oh, but you're over the field, oh, but I'm over the field, but who cares?
1: Yeah, yeah, you have to do something, whether it's ranking lineups against each other, whether uh, you know, it's something even as simple as just, like, not letting any lineup have more or less than X ownership. Like, do something to, to make it so that your lineups have some chance of not being too contrarian or too, uh, you know, definitely, you know, too popular. Uh, but, yeah, it's – and and I agree. It's, you know, th- that's why I I try and, and make a point, you know, like, yeah, I'm willing to say, you know, oh, yeah, I think I'll be overweight on this pitcher because X, Y, Z. But it's also – I – you know, X, Y, Z, it typically doesn't even have that much to do with the pitcher. It might be, you know, that pitcher is low owned, but also he's going to fit with, you know, I really like this more popular stack or, or whatever. Like there's so much more that goes into it than, um, yeah, this is the pitcher's ownership or this is the hitter's ownership and I should be over or underweight. Um,
0: cause you, cause you'll hear people that say, oh, uh, the guy's 30, the guys, 30%, right. We, we can see this in football, right? Yeah. Oh, Derek Henry is going to be 35% this week. So that means either play 70% of them or or X them out. Or zero. I'm like, what does that have to do with lineups? None of of what you're talking about has any relevance whatsoever. So much of the time, you're going to be right around the field because
1: it It, makes sense.
0: Right. Most likely, if if you believe 35% is efficient ownership for Henry, you should probably have 35% of them.
1: Right, and the like the lineup he's in should just be you know lower on stacks and and you know contrarian pieces here and there. Um, but yeah, a lot of the times, especially on good players, you know, like Derek Henry, like Aaron Judge uh, in baseball, you know, yeah, the good players that are getting ownership, you don't want to. You're gonna make life really difficult for yourself if you just say, yeah, I'm not gonna play any player that's popular, no matter how good they are. Like it, it comes back to I think one of the biggest adjustments I've made semi recently is not is, you know, doing a better job of factoring in chances of success along with ownership. And it goes back to, you know, positive leverage, uh, negative leverage. But for a long time, I just kind of viewed it as not playing popular players. And it gets really hard when you're just removing certain guys from from who you're willing to play because they're popular. and You're not considering, you know, yeah, he's he's really good. Like there's obviously it's not a practical example because it never really comes up. But like, in theory, there could be a spot where someone is 88% owned and Under-owned. you should have more. You should right. have 100. We see basketball, you see that, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. The You know, the 3K guy that's going to play 38 minutes in, in April. Like, yeah, cool. He's 88% owned. And people are like, oh, there's no edge. He's 88%. It's like 12% of the field just didn't play this guy.
0: Right. The efficient ownership probably is 97%.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. You um, should so have, yeah, have that, that much that, of them. Yeah, that, that's a big thing. And I feel like it doesn't get talked about all that often. But, like, it's it's a two-part equation. It's not just the, the ownership.
0: Right, but also you need to weigh the effects of that person in the lineup as a whole because right, once you plug in, once there are two of those types of guys, then you're like, okay, I'm going to play 288% known players and they're at certain positions, and it leads me to playing LeBron and Giannis. It's like, well, find a way that the rest of your lineup is all mid- mid-range guys or right or yeah that's that's to me it goes back to do you have to do something whether it's capping
1: your ownership in fantasy cruncher or whatever optimizer you use whether it's having a way to rank your lineups against each other once you make them um you know using some combination of projection ownership whatever else whatever other metrics you want to use you have to have something to make it so that you're prioritizing those lineups that um even if you are using popular players, you're prioritizing the lineups that have those players that, um, as a whole, are more contrarian than the other ones, even if they project similarly.
0: But that's all about the magic settings. What'd you say? It's all about the magic settings, though. Yeah,
1: because yeah. People exactly. will ask
0: you, but they'll go, well, what are the set? What? Right. <laughs> like, like, right? Well, and, and like, even that, I, I'm...
1: I definitely don't spend nearly as much time like reviewing slates or lineups or anything as I should. But using something, and again, for FC, it's uh, Lineup Rewind. Like, even to figure out the settings, it all depends on like what your process for building lineups is. Like, I can tell you what I use and it's going to be completely useless because you probably build your lineups in a completely different way than I do. And you don't need to have the same settings as me. It's like, go in, spend time, just you i think dink said it on a show i watched a while ago the point of the optimizer is just to efficiently build the lineups that you would build if you were building them by hand so spend the time figuring out you know if i do this what happens to my lineups and then at some point you'll get to where it's like okay um i'm getting a good mix of lineups the lineups look the way i want them to these are the settings i should use
0: right because let's let's take excel for example if i wanted to show like a like, I, I built a little marbles example for the pregame show, showing expected value and duplication. Like, if I ask you, Adam, build me, build me that same thing to show the same... You could use different formulas. You could have different boxes. Like, right. like I use product this of this thing, and you're like, no, I'm going to set up an array and do it this. Like, there's multiple ways to do things. And an Optimizer, right. like, a lot of people ask me, like, what my randomness is, and I go zero. I go, so you don't have any any... Randomizing projections. Like I'm just using the optimizer to build the combinations of lineups I want. Right. I could, I, I once I know that I could change the projections. Like sometimes right. you know in basketball, you're like I'm getting too much of this guy, even when I put in, you know I only want twenty percent of him. So it's like screw this. He's a he's a forty-seven point projection. I'm forty-two. Right. Like like so what you could do that right because. What I could do is, is increase the randomness, but that'll also increase the randomness of everyone else. Right. It's like, I like the lineups the way I am. I just want less of this one guy, and then I'm good. And then you take a look at what people ask me, what the ownership, like sometimes I'll use the ownership constraints, min and max ownership. Go, What's a good one? I go, well, it depends on what the t- what the ownerships of the lineups that are on that slate. Right. On a four-game basketball slate, I mean, the, the optimal may have 360% ownership because how many How many players are there to choose from? On a large slate, maybe that's 60. And maybe you're wrong. Maybe there is no number. It's just it's a blunt tool of like I just want don't want these chalky pieces together. I'm gonna solve this problem with this setting, but I could solve that problem with probably four other settings. I just find it easier to do it this way. It really goes back to just and you said it before about you know whatever
1: about familiarity with optimizers. Just know what you're doing in and out. Like know if 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 I change this, it's going to have like if I change this to do this, it's probably going to have the unintended consequences of doing X, Y, and Z also. And so like you just really need to be aware of like how to do every single thing uh, to, to make the lineups look the way that you want them to. There's no like magic setting. It's just everything interacts together and it just takes time figuring
0: out exactly how how to make it all work in a way that, that you want it to. Right. People will ask, why am I getting Jason Martin as a 2K one-off in all my lineups? <laughs> right. And I go, you know, you know why? Because you're trying to play the two most expensive pitchers and the two most expensive stacks together, like just like that—that is what it is. Or you'll get the opposite of why—why is uh, Otani in 87% of my lineups? And I'm like, well, you're trying to play two cheap stacks together, and you have you have a high salary floor, like you're forcing the the optimizer to spend 49.8, and it's like, well, that's the only way Otani at 6,400 has to be in like all your lineups. Then, if you want to play this Pittsburgh Rockies combinations and half your lineups like right. like that's just to me that's just common sense but it starts with what lineups do you want to build and i think that frustrates people that i think adam do you think they people see guys like you me alex build you know use these optimizers and what they're seeing is the second they're seeing they're starting from the second step they're like oh i just see a guy putting in a bunch of numbers and then cutting out some lineups here and moving some lineups there and kind of whatever and sculpting things. And then it's like, I want to learn how to do that. It's like, no, they missed the first step of what lineups do I want to build? And then we get into how do I build yeah, those lineups? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just one of those where like, and, and it's like this with
1: anything, you know, anything that people are relatively good at that you're less experienced at, you kind of like have a tendency to just like you assume. not acknowledge how much time they spent getting like that first step done and like. Understanding what they're doing, like, and that's why I think it, that's why it's so frustrating with the uh, like the unique and randomness question, because there really is no good way to explain it. Like, people will come to me, you know, and like, oh, well, I'm getting, like you said, you know, I'm getting too much of this guy because I told it to give me 40% of X and 28% of Y, and I'm like, okay, well, for me personally, I cap everyone at 100%, and I let it do its thing because I have other ways to right. get it to do what I want it to do. So I can't even tell you how to fix your problem because I don't do the first step the way you do it. Right. Like right. there's People, just so many different ways to do it. You kind of just need to take the time to get it to find some way to get it to do what
0: you want it to do. And it's probably going to be different than how I get it to do what I want it to do. Right. I mean, uh, in MMA, if I, my process now, if I set the caps at hundred percent, I'd have like at all, I think people like randomness. I think people understand more than the uniques. Do you, to me, uniques are just all about diversification it has nothing to do with like, yes. Like, yeah. Do you, so uh, people, I, I don't think people understand that the, the correlation between your lineups is more of a, uh, a risk management issue. So for instance, you could have on a slate, uh, you know, like we had a six game slate yesterday. It's like, If you wanted to build 150 lineups and have them all be uh, White Sox and Blue Jay stacks, like, your your unique player is probably going to be one, right? Because, I mean, how many different combinations could there possibly be where they could be three uniques in each line? It's it's unlikely to. So if you make that strategic decision, your uniques would be one. On a six-game slate, if you're like, I'm going to play 15% of every team, there's a lot more combinations. So you probably... Uh, if you only set one unique, like you're going to, which still could be fine. You just may have all of your pirate stacks may be just one V ones of each other. And you won't have this specific pirate stack with Stanton because you only set uniques as one and it wasn't jamming. And it was jamming in judge into all of these lineups. Right. But if you set uniques at two or three, it's going to be more divert. You're more likely to get Stanton instead of Judge. And one right. of your pirate. Yeah, tech, but it, it helps to avoid clumping. But it also, like, even
1: that, it interacts with randomness. It interacts with your exposure caps. Like, if you have really, really strict exposure caps and a ton of randomness, it doesn't really matter how many uniques you have. If you have no randomness and no exposure caps, you're probably going to want more uniques because otherwise you're just going to get one offs of your lineup all the way down the line, like you're building your top 150 cash lineups. Right. It's just it all goes back to making it all work together for you. And coming up with what lineups you want to play to begin with. Yeah, yeah, and to the way you figure out what works for you is to know what you want the lineups to look like when you build them, and then play around with stuff until they start looking the way
0: you want them to look. Do you don't you get a lot of Magic the Magic settings questions? Oh, all the time. Yeah, right. And and uh, it uh, it almost feels like like they think that we're hiding something. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> it,
1: it's it's up there with you know yeah we t- we we tell you what plays. Uh, to play and then we play the other ones, you know, just to to throw you off. Oh, they want the
0: personal Oh, we have the personal ones.
1: Right, right. Right? Yeah. We uh, have
0: because we understand that you play differently from Alex and you play differently from Rinpak and Steve plays differently. But I want your what's your personal ones, what's your personal ones? And (laughs) a lot but people ask me, I could show you what I did last late, but I could guarantee you that my settings on the optimizer are gonna look way different today than they will yesterday. I can even tell you, like, I, I mostly, I mean, I adjust it to some extent,
1: but mostly I'm using the same settings. I can tell you what they are and you still won't build the same lineups right. I build because
0: <laughs> there's just so many other things. Right. Or people that want, want, want my my MMA model that isn't a model. Right. Right. It's like, like, to me, that's the thing that cracks me up. It's like, my process isn't that scientific that you can't replicate it. And it's like, I, I, like, dude, I, I'm just trying to be directionally accurate. You need my mom, dude, you can make this in five minutes. What, what am I? Yeah.
1: Someone, uh, a subscriber one time tried to pay me $1,000 for my Excel model for some sport. And I told him, no, I was like, I'm not like trying to hide it from you or something. I was like, I would actually feel bad selling this to you because I think it's the most important thing that I I use, but by itself, it's literally useless. Like you would not, it wouldn't help you unless you're doing all the other things that I I do, you know, in Fantasy Crunch or or whatever. Um, Like it's the final step for me. It helps me a lot, but it's... Basically useless to anybody else.
0: Right. It's, it's the numbers that I'm putting in that for right. what I'm doing on that specific slate and it helps me be more efficient, but it doesn't, it's not predicting, it's not predictive. There's no prediction involved. Right. It's just saying, okay, how do I identify who has a higher inside the distance and round one and all that type of stuff? in comparison to what the, I believe the ownership is going to be in comparison to the projection around the industry. So I know that, Oh, if I play a lot of this guy, I probably have to play a lot of that guy. Like that, that's all it's really doing for me.
1: I mean, my, mine chooses my lineups for me also. Oh, Um, it does. Does it do your laundry? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I mean, again, that's, it it doesn't build them for me. Like I don't have my own optimizer. It just, you know, I, I have it set up to, to help me, you know, decide what the best lineups are I can play in any given contest. But like, Still, still got to put the good lineups into it for it to pick from. It's not going to be useful to to someone that doesn't know how to use Fantasy Cruncher to build lineups.
0: Right, or or any or any other type. Yeah, of or item, Any right. Yeah. Does it doesn't matter? Doesn't matter what it is. Then there there are fe- there are features that some people use and some people don't use. Like right. like they're, they're uh, I don't know. In in Fantasy Cruncher, is there a a function for like stack having batters only in stacks?
1: Um. No, or, you or it's probably, something that you don't
0: even use then.
1: Yeah, so I might not use like there, there's the thing with fantasy cruncher. There's like a lot of way you can do pretty much anything you want. Sometimes it's just you have to like be familiar enough with it to understand like the workaround to get there. I'm not sure like off the top of my head how I would do what you said, though. Right. Like the, the fact of the matter is like
0: oh, it would be like
1: you'd have to go in and say like. If Max Kepler then at least two of Right, right Luis yeah, and right, whoever.
0: Right. Lineup HQ you you have to do groups. But it's the type yeah. of thing. Why would it be useful? Well, if right. you're playing a twin if you're playing twins in your in your uh in your pool and you don't want a drelton Simmons as your as a one off in any of your lineups because what's his ceiling? Right? Ricky right. exactly. Lopez on the like and that's what it's useful. And it makes it easy to just go click, click. And I don't have to worry, worry yeah, about or like that. one thing that I've
1: actually that I recently started doing um, because I, I kind of had found I was having an issue getting, you know, you mentioned like I think Daniel Lynch against the Astros yesterday. I was having an issue getting him even to get in the fantasy cruncher lineups unless I really bumped his projection, in which case then he's getting into too many. And I know I'm going to get too much of him because of how contrarian he is and because I bumped his projection. So I've started and like also I bump his projection then I'm going to get less Astros and, and all of that. But I did. Like the other day, I was like, oh, I bet I could do this. And it's worked really well. Just going in and saying, um, taking every hitter on the Astros and saying, if less than one, then bump the annual Lynch's projection by 25%. Right. Like doing stuff like that, um, you know, works.
0: Right. But that's not that's not a, oh, that's a magic setting. And it's like, no, right. that, it accomplished the thing that you needed to do. Right. And that specific it, it's, thing.
1: It's problem solving. You need to be familiar enough with your optimizer to when you say, oh, wow, I like this, this is a problem. I wonder if I could solve it this way to like know how
0: to go do it. Right. Just like uh, last year, uh, you 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 complimented me. I always think people hate me, so like anytime that I get a compliment, I'm just like, okay. Uh, it's really, the slant.
1: For me to what? I said it's really unusual for me to compliment
0: people. Right. That's why I said on, on when I won the slant <laughs> last year. Oh, okay, yeah. Like you, you, like your comment all going along with the optimizers of like it looks a lineup that you would hand build because I did the leverage and the correlation between you know the run back. of the tight end or whatever. It's like, yeah, those are all up. Those are all, that's what I'm doing in the up. I mean, because on lineup HQ, we don't have correlation boosts. So I, if I'm saying I want a three plus one plus a one plus one plus this plus, I want these three correlations. And then I set up groups to like, if this guy's in the lineup, I don't mind playing, you know, the chalk, you know, thing that's, and then, then like, that's how I'd, I'd hand build it. Right. And also the, the 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 one v one type of things where it's one guy on one side of the game. It's typically all players that are within like it's it, it's not for Devontae Adams. It's not for it's for like the, these guys are all projected in the same range. These are all right. forty five hundred dollar and uh, wide receivers and three thousand dollar like the example was like T Higgins and, and Burton on that slate. It's like right. dude, these, these are three k tight ends and four k wide receivers. Like the the variance between any of these four k. Wide receivers, eight of them versus six of the tight ends. If they're all about equal. So if I'm going to play two of them, let at least them be in the same game. Like yeah, may as well in. have them
1: together. Right. Yeah, you're going to play anyway, just get them together.
0: Right. So, I mean, but that's all done through optimizer right. groups and settings and all that for the lineups that I want to build. With a correlation boost, you could do the same thing, but it's not hard. Like the difference is, is that you're making it more likely, but not a hundred percent. Right. Yeah, Exactly. I think yeah, which,
1: I'll say I think I always forget how I build NFL lineups until like I spend I'm up the entire night before opening uh, opening week. But uh, yeah, I think I usually use correlation boosts, which again, yeah, it gives me more lineups like that. But not I I want to say like I have four stacks. I definitely have four stacks. But then I think I use correlation boosts on like um, the one you know the the one v one like you know Bengals versus Bears secondary receivers or whatever.
0: Right. But you're you're not guaranteed to get it because it right, it's right, going to yeah, boost I'm not, it up ten yeah. percent, but it may not be right. it meant beat it beat out the projection of some other player right. in the lineup during that run. Me, I, I I without a correlation booth, I just have to just force it. Yeah. So sometimes Arby, yeah. you sometimes Arby. that that's the tilt in my head doing it that way. Of yeah. Lock seeing. I think at one slate. I think two years ago, like. It was a lineup that I that won the, the millimaker and I was playing the Millie Maker that I I, I could have won yeah but it was a lineup that I couldn't have made
1: like you right, you understand, yeah. you understand I, I, what I'm
0: saying it's like yeah, it's, a, yeah. it. it's the teams t- it was the idea but because I was ga- it, it was I think uh, we had the, that slate with the the chiefs I remember last year everyone was running it back with like Denzel mims or oh something, yeah! Right, I it's like like what was it, Barrios? Yeah, Barrios. But I mean, I don't think you you, you might as well Smith. just not have run it back with anything, right? Right. Yeah, and if you yeah. forced yourself into a run back, you'd look at the winning lineup and go, "It was a cheap three man stack and all a bunch of players that you played a ton of." Yep. But since you were forcing in a run back, you could have never possibly gotten that line.
1: Yeah, that that's one thing that I tried to be better about. Um, I think last year that I had always felt I struggled with was just pick like going through the slate and finding spots where it's just like, okay, you really don't need a run back here. Like this team's going to get theirs regardless of if the other team scores, you know, for example, the chiefs and the jets. Um, That's something that like, I I started trying to be better about. I feel like it it gives you somewhat of an edge if you're willing to like go game by game and at least think them through like that. But it's also like easy to screw up. So I'm always hesitant to do it. Also,
0: I get tilted for, I get my frustration. Maybe you could help me here. With NBA. Since you're... I, I consider you'd be great in NBA. Thank you. The... I... There is negative correlation in NBA. Yeah. The problem is, is that, like, I I make... Like, when one person shoots, the other person can't shoot. Like, so if you have, like, multiple jump shooters on a team, like, why would you be playing three of them? Right. But the problem is, is that sometimes all three of them do get there for their prices. And, yeah. I, owe, and I end up making groups... Like I make groups in NBA for GPPs where it's like, well, if Carmelo Anthony is having a good game, it's like, well, whoever he's just hogging the ball. And what I mean, like, how how is Gary Trent gonna have a good game also at 5K, at the same time? So I'm like, I'm separating these guys out. Yet sometimes I see sharp players lineups, and it's like, it's like it's the it's 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 the it's the guard as well as like the guy that comes in for him at 3800, which is still he could get there, but. They're technically, like, their ceilings are negatively correlative. The I'm grouping thing, them out, yet a lot of people aren't. The thing with
1: the NBA that I, I kind of struggle with and why I actually try not to make a ton of groups for NBA is that there's, like, there. so, like like, you're saying, there's negative correlation between, like, two high-usage guys on the same team. But at the same time, if that game gets played at a faster pace than we're predicting, you know, based on, like, the Vegas total – then there's positive correlation between them, too, because there's just more possessions. It's a high-scoring game. It goes to overtime, whatever. Um, the other team is just playing horrible defense that day. Like, there's there's other things that are going to positively correlate to where um, I normally view it... Um, I, I group based on positions, obviously, like, you know, or at least on, on most slates. Like, there's obviously exceptions. But I group based on positions so that, you know, I'm not playing, like,
0: Back, like centers with centers, whatever. Right, like, you um, wouldn't play... Like backup centers with starting right, yeah. Backup centers is the one that really you know
1: obviously stands out. Um, and then also, I'll a lot of times I'll group by salary, but I also won't, um, I, I won't x them out. Like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you know, I'll say like uh, if two players from the same team over eighty five hundred, then one player from the other team projected for at least twenty five points, is I think a good way to do it. Right.
0: I, I, what you're describing is is kind of the mentality of what I do with groups with the, yeah. With with the run like I'm more likely to play if I play one guy from one side of the game I'm going to play a guy from the other side of the right. game because they're going to be correlative as long as the pace and the total goes up right. but you're doing you're do, it's you're doing it with a correlation boost yeah and I'm doing it with just straight up like conditional groupings of like uh, yeah no I, I do it with conditionals um, okay so that like yeah so like I won't.
1: I can't have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in the same lineup because they're on the same team and they're both expensive unless I have some guy from the other team, like basically the top scorer from the other team. Right.
0: Because you want all of them to hit their ceilings because it goes to triple overtime.
1: If two two 10K guys from the Clippers each score 55, 60 points, that doesn't really happen unless one of the top scorers on the other team has a big game as well. Right.
0: But for the, the cheaper players... You don't care as much about
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't care as much because it's just they can get there so many ways. Like, you know, the, they get four more rebounds than normal. They don't have to score. They just, you know, pick up rebounds or get steals or whatever. Like, it's it's just so much easier to pay off a cheap salary in random ways than an expensive salary. Like, the expensive guys kind of have to score at least to some level to, to pay off their salary. And there's obviously only so many baskets to go around.
0: But don't you think people get too focused? Because I, I, I listen to your shows and I listen to Roto-Grinders shows of uh, the the age-old question of who plays in a blowout yeah yeah um, like I, I, is that, that like that's, like that that's that's the that's the outcome i i i describe it as uh it's like hitting it's you have to hit a two-outer you have to hit on both streets it's like you're betting on the flop that you run perfect perfect because not only does the game have to blow out but then that the game has to blow out that guy has to get you know he, should, he normally plays 12 minutes, and now he's playing 26 minutes. And then he also has to be efficient enough to put up a 40-point game in that scenario that why are you worried about who plays in a blowout? You should just worry about who's going to do well in a close game. Right, yeah. And, and also, if you're
1: playing that blowout, that, that bl- random blowout guy, you also need the actual starters ahead of him not to have done well enough in the three quarters of blowing the other team out that you just need them anyway. Right. Because I'm assuming you're not playing both sides. You know, you're not playing the starter and the backup. So, um, yeah, that's that's always – people get so caught up on that. It's just like uh, it, it's hard enough to win tournaments. You don't need to just make your life miserable on top of it.
0: Right. Showdown I could understand. Yeah. Showdown makes yeah, sense.
1: Yeah. If, if you want to comp- build an entire lineup around a game script, like in a showdown format, show, showdown format, that's one thing. But when you're talking a slate where you can just choose guys from another game – and where, you know, a blowout means that a team scored a lot of points in a hurry. And so guys are just typically performing at an above average rate. I don't understand it in like a, a full slate at all.
0: Do you do you, do you you play heavy in showdown formats?
1: I started playing cash a bit heavier last year, um, especially during postseason. That went well. So I think I'll get back to, to doing more of that. I hadn't really before, but I think showdown formats in general, um, I kind of had learned last NFL season. Uh, I started playing a lot of just like, I'll, I'll play one lineup and just play it in everything. And I feel like people make a lot of mistakes and I've made pretty good money across showdown, but
0: you're not contest. playing large field. You're not, I mean, I, I throw it in there. Um, Oh yeah. But I'm saying you're, you're not doing the thing of like, like, Oh, you're going to play the line. You're going to play the lineup. That's the least duplicated. Like yeah. yeah. Type. I typically, I typically don't want 50 max showdown. Okay. So you, you do the exact, I, I play no cash in showdown.
1: It's surprisingly, uh, good (laughs)
0: surprisingly it what nfl or everything even like nba and. i mean
1: nfl is the best but like nba playoffs went really well for me um because also it's like like i said i'll throw it in tournaments too i win a surprising number of you know decent sized tournaments with just what i think is the best lineup and you know sometimes it's duplicated a couple times i've had i had one big nfl slate last year where uh i just happened to have like a one v one receiver off of the cash lineup that everyone else played and my guy came through. So like, I just single-handedly took down tournaments, which is awesome. Um, But yeah, like it's, I've done well enough in tournaments with my cash lineup too. And then also, you know, just winning head to heads and stuff that uh, it's, there are some slates where you you end up being really heavily duplicated, but there's a lot where uh, I think people actually make
0: mistakes. I just find the showdown that those types of formats suit my brain more where there. Like you don't want the bet. Like you almost like, oh here. Right. If, if, it, it, it's it's the age old thing, especially in NFL with the large showdowns for Monday yeah. and Thursday night football, and we, you'll you'll hear it on on any sh- any show around the industry, in a showdown format. If you build your lineup and you're like, oh, I think this looks good, then it's horrible. It's probably horrible. <laughs> right. Yeah. it's Probably hard. Probably probably the worst. And I think yeah. people get too caught up. Uh, I know Colin Colin Drew Drewby, Yeah, yeah Drew. Does, does a lot with uh, the correlations. And I found it from looking at the CSVs that there's more, that you have a higher expected value playing fucked up shit. Yeah. Like playing for chaos, but obviously you're more likely to retain equity with the correlated ones. Right. So it's like, if you want to play the highest DV lineups, you're playing the lineups where you're playing two running backs from the same team. You're playing a wide receiver, the high end wide receiver at the captain without his quarterback. Right. You're, you're, you're fading the defenses. Right. Sometimes that they... was when I because for NFL, I'll play I'll play tournaments some
1: just because the contests are so big. And that that was one thing I found really quickly because I would go back and, and actually review those slates since I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and there, there was a lot of times it would be like, OK, cool. I gave myself zero chance of having the winning lineup tonight because of my rules. So um, I, I stopped setting a lot of rules for those tournaments real quick.
0: Right. Uh, my, my favorite thing is to do very similar to like baseball stack against the most owned pitcher as long as they're not yep. an ace. Uh, is the game has a thirty eight total play, play play make lineups as if it's going to be a shootout, right? And then when it's a fifty seven total, defense captain, right? Like yep. like that. Like to me, but you said but from a duplication standpoint, like you get so much, you get so much more. I've run I've run the lineups, and it's like you get so much more expected value. It, it happens so infrequently, but the fact that you could make 150 lineups and get like 78 uniques playing lineups that don't even look that bad. It's not like you're playing the sixth guy wide receiver that gets two snaps. Right. Who, who
1: still, by the way, is like 6% owned.
0: Right. Right. Because or or you're not playing the, side, the, the, the fullback it. that you're hoping gets in the, you know, gets six points with a one right. yard dive. Like, no, you could just play, Oh, the Patriots are on the slate. Play two of their running backs. Cause everyone, right. everyone, you're going to hear everyone say, Like, you should not play two, like, play one of them, but they're going to come in and out for each other, and which one, Burkhead or James White or Sony Michelle or whoever the hell they got, Damian Harris. Oh, there's four of them active, which means you shouldn't play any of them. Now play three of them in your lineup. Right. It's the same thing with NBA, like, rules that,
1: like, you know, the two-center rule in NBA. Like, on a main slate, I'm not doing that. On a showdown slate, I think it's the right
0: move a lot of the time. Right. Which makes no sense to people because it, logically, it's like, well, they're negatively correlated. It's like, yeah, that also means that less people are going to do it. And, it, and it also, I mean, it's still a game of pricing. Like a lot of times, like
1: like using the NBA example, if you're going to get 48 minutes from two guys and one of them is $1,500 or something, that's still a good value even if he's only playing – like the reason you're not playing them together on a main slate is opportunity cost, because you can roster centers from other teams. And f- like for that guy on the bench to have a big game, it comes at the expense of the starter. But when you're talking a one game slate, there's a lot of times that the guy who's playing 12 minutes off the bench is
0: priced to play 12 minutes off the bench. So he's a perfectly fine play. You don't need extra. And then you have to rec- then people also have to reconcile the fact of what format it's in. You're talking about GPPs right. in cash games. It a lot of times it's optimal when Embiid is out to play $3,800 Dwight Howard with $3,200 Tony Bradley and just get all their center minutes. And then people would look at you and go, well, I thought they're negatively correlated. It's like, well, it's cash. We don't need a ceiling score. Right. Yeah. I just got 48 minutes for $6,800 or whatever. Right. I think that's the, that, the, the jump that we're talking about from that 2014 era feel player to going up to the 2021, like math. Game theory, strategy, it's not a complicated math. It's just kind of thinking non-linearly. Is all, is all based around the fact that, that there's, no, there's no black and white. There's just a, a lot of gray, and I call it the levers, right? As one lever goes up, another lever goes down. Right. And you're like, well, you shouldn't play two centers together, but you could because it actually increases your median, but right. it decreases your ceiling. But what contests do you, should you prioritize median? Well, cash games. Which one should you prioritize? Ceilings, GPPs, and then right. people. What people do is that they don't take that into. A, they just look from a perspective of uh, DFS is a game of predicting what's going to happen in tonight's games, and not a game about beating other people. Right. And then they go. Then they look at you and they get confused about. Well, on one show you said to not play the center, right? Imagine, imagine doing an NBA showdown show, uh, for a, a main slate show and doing a cash GPP and showdown every, every you on that exact example of, of the two centers, you'd say different things on each, each thing. And someone would listen and go, this guy's trying to cover all his bases. He's, this guy's a fraud, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: Everything is like, like you said, it's a sliding scale. Everything's on a spectrum. It's um, if this is going to be the case, which we think it is, then this is a good play. But if this were actually the case, then it's not a good play. And you actually do the opposite. Like everything is, is on a spectrum. Like I, I think the example that people used when I was like kind of learning was like Clayton Kershaw. It's you should understand that in most cases, you know, Clayton Kershaw against a really bad team is a good play. But if you know, for a fact, he's going to be 99.5% owned. He's a terrible (laughs) play. Like that, that should tell you that there is some spot where he
0: goes from being good to bad. You just kind of have to figure out where that is. Right. Where is the spot that, right. Right. Typically by, by teaching in, in extremes, Right, it helps people get that a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. if you were playing a hundred man contest, and you were the only one without Clayton Kershaw, what needs to happen for you to win? Him to fail, and you win. It doesn't even matter what the rest of your lineup. It's a, right. it, your lineup is one pitcher. Like we even de- decrease it. You would all you have to do is select a pitcher on the slate, right? Clayton Kershaw is in ninety nine percent of lineups. Shane Bieber is in, in your lineup. Even if you think Kershaw is a bit like he's not, he's not going to win ninety nine percent of the time, and right. especially if ninety nine people have the same lineup, right now, now you're now it doesn't even matter at that point.
1: Right? Yeah. It's just there. there are so many. To me, that's like one of the easiest ways to actually think about probability because I I know that's something that's just a lot of people struggle with is you know like that things are really. Even if something's likely to happen, it's still not going to happen a lot. But it's just to like, think in terms of extremes, like you said, even if you know it's not a practical example, if you can get to a situation where you say, oh, well, I wouldn't do this if that was the case, that tells you there is some spot where you wouldn't want to do what you think is the quote-unquote like, best play or, or best
0: thing to do. Right, it's those probability things. Like right. I, had so- I had someone uh, the other day uh, complain to me, I, I looked and this is slate I we have slate IQ which is diverse like top, the top stacks tool it's right. a similar type of thing uh I've looked at slate IQ every day this week and I played the top stack and they and the top stack didn't win like in, in, in the entire week and I and I, and I I'm like like what what percent yesterday was the, the the Houston Astros to win they go they were the top stack at nine percent so 91% of the time, they're not the top stack. Right. Right? Yeah. So so, so you, what what are you complaining about? Like, okay, you looked at an entire week that the top stack, the top stack at most a lot of time. maybe we'll, sometimes we'll get a 20, sometimes. Right.
1: In which case, like, yeah, they're
0: twice as likely
1: as the next highest team, and they're still 80% to fail.
0: Right. So, like, going, but that's, to me, that's the probability. Yeah. Prob, like, yeah. And then Dr- fin- finally he said, it's like, oh, now that you put it that way, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't, like... Oh, I didn't think of it in terms of they're 91% not to. It's like, right. yeah. yeah flip it. and Yeah, like Josh made
1: that point this morning. Cause I think we were talking about like the Blue Jays or something. Um, and someone said that like the Blue Jays have been failing a lot lately or, or something. And Josh is like, at whatever their top stack percentage is, like you literally have to play this slate for a month before you think they – like before they actually would like be expected to hit to, – to, to win the slate. You know, because it's like one in 30 or whatever.
0: Right, I I made the example because because someone I was trying to help someone that was that was uh, you know building a lot of lineups and and not succeeding over a long period of time, and I said it, I said to him facetiously this, I mean this is why I, this is why I'm an asshole I said <laughs> said it could be po- it's possible that you're the greatest DFS player of all time, and he goes what do you mean I said I said how 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 long have you been on this losing streak he goes said the whole the whole MLB season I said okay it's quite possible you're the greatest MLB DFS player ever. And, and he goes, I don't understand, but I'm not winning. I said, you're right. But it's possible that the greatest DFS player of all time could lose for four months straight. Right. So it's like, so just saying that you're losing doesn't help me. Like, like you have to understand how much variance there actually is. And I put things into perspective because he's only playing large field GPPs. And I'm like, if, if you could build... A, I, I, I gave him an example. If you could build one lineup that is the highest definitively the highest EV lineup that you could possibly build for this contest and i say that it's 2x your entry fee so you put in $1 and you get back 2 which i don't even i'm not even sure if those lineups even exist so right, right most of the time maybe you get to like $1.50 a $1.60 maybe uh, more in showdown because of the duplication but i say okay these lineups don't even exist and they're 2 extra entry fee on average over a million whatever i said it's a 50,000 it's a 50,000 entry fee contest Okay, so this lineup has twice as more shot to win than, and let's say all the other lineups are one. I just like make it easy. It's twice as more likely to win than everyone in the lineup. That means you'll win once in tw- twenty-five thousand slates. I said, okay. Right. So if you were to play the highest expected line, both single one in every every day, said you'll you'll win a GPP like maybe maybe before the time you're dead. Right, exactly. Like may, <laughs> maybe, and may, that may not even happen. Right, the variance. Right. Right. So yeah. let's say you play 150 of those. Okay. Now you've reduced it to you'll win one in like six months. Right. Right. So so like you could be building those lineups and like you're probably not not to that extent. So now we bring it down to more normal dollar thirty, dollar twenty type of EV type of lineups. You're playing fifty thousand entry fee contests. Your your lineups are only the big edge is having a lineup that's twenty percent better than the fields. Right. Right. And and you're like, well, why am I unprofitable? It's like, like maybe, maybe this is the main reason. L- lastly, do you agree with me? I think you're more transparent than most. I consider myself the most transparent, but yeah, I, mean, so I think you probably are. Right, but more transparent than most. Don't you think that? It, I mean, this is the main reason why I am. That it's more helpful if more if if you if your job is to help people. If you're a good player that doesn't care about content and doesn't care about helping people, fuck. If Brian Hooper sure. doesn't want to show his fucking roto tracker, that's that's fine. If 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 Mock Lovin does like no. That they if they don't want to share their edge at all, that's that's what they should be doing. Right? Uh but if you are, wouldn't it be more helpful to show a realistic point of variance and downswings and those types of concepts through roto tracker charts, through those types of results? Yeah, you could yeah, the screenshots, yeah, they're Obviously, screenshots work. They're good for marketing. Right. Feel right. free to beat your chest when you win a GPP. Feel free to post your ironic ones where you lose all your money. Right. Like, I, like that's just the lulls of Twitter. Right. But don't you think people would have less, like, they would get these concepts a little bit better if more sharper players would share their, like, look, I'm a great, I, I play 150 entries. I know you've see, seen me win two GPPs, but I'm down on the year. Right. That like they do, they that they would start to grasp these concepts a little bit more than thinking that that oh you like you want one hundred sixteen thousand dollars in MMA it's like dude I had to I was I spent twenty two thousand dollars on a downswing trying to get to that point right like they yeah, think yeah, that I didn't put any money in for that
1: yeah and that's one of those I mean even as someone who obviously understands the, the swings at this point it's still I think helpful for me when I see players that I think are, are really really good. Um, you know post theres like I know Frankie Bourne posted his uh, I think at some point last football season where he was he he had just won a big tournament but it was at the back end of like some obscene downswing and like I've always just found it good for me like because one it reinforces you know that yeah it's not just you like you know everyone's going you know everybody has them but like it reinforces because it's really easy, it's so easy when like you're losing to get caught up in like you're the only person losing when Obviously you're not, but like, yeah. So even from like a, not, not only a, um, uh, this is, you know, just how it works thing, but like a, you know, everyone, even the, the really good players go through these huge swings that seem like they're not going to end.
0: Right. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you get more realistic like questions as far as, I mean, there, there's still some people, maybe not as much now as it were back in 2017, I mean, I, 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 still, I still get, uh, I still get uh, YouTube comments or whatever, because there's trolls everywhere, right? Right. Sure. It's, uh, uh, have you ever won the Millie Maker? And I go, no. Said, so it's a, why should we listen to you? Like like, <laughs> like, 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 dude, like Alex never won the Millie Maker. I mean, like, right. like, if that's your, if that's your, like, oh, only good players win the Millie, like, like, like that's someone that just has no realistic, like, thing right. of what, what it is, like, what, what, anything, like, the, how am I supposed to teach you if you don't understand that? Oh, why? will oh, oh, ask me why don't I play the Millie Major? So, because it's a fucking donkey negative EV contest. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? if I, if I had
1: if I had like unlimited money and didn't have to contest select at all, then yeah, sure, because it's like it's it's the softest tournament. But like, I'm not gonna win it. I I like, probably lived like five lives before I win it.
0: But I mean, I, my my aim is to, to teach people. But dude, the last thing is, do you believe showing all of this? Like, are, are you on my side on, uh, you could, you could, I, you're very transparent on the strategy show. You say what you think. I mean, there's nothing you say that you're saying to deceive people.
1: There's sure. nothing
0: that I'm saying to deceive people. I'll get on shows before Locke and say, here, this is exactly what I'm doing, right? I'm playing more of this and more of that and whatever. Let's see if it works out. Uh, do you, do you, be- do you believe that even though you're pretty much teaching people, how to play well that 95% of people are just not going to do it anyway. So there's no, that, that you're not on the, the, the brick 75 camp of like he, he's on the middle ground of he thinks 95% of people aren't going to do it, but he's afraid of the 5% of people that are going to do and then end up in the high stakes contests with him. But there are also some people that I've some sharper players that are like, I don't like the fact that you're that anyone's talking about this stuff. And I think I these think guys I'm, should shut up. I think I'm kind of similar to brick like
1: to me I, I i talked about it on twitter kind of briefly with um damn it who was it i don't remember one of the one of the high stakes guys that uh i can't believe i'm drawing a blank but um who, who like just hates that anyone doesn't i was like
0: probably ricky me, probably ricky d probably. It,
1: it was yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah that, that's what it was and it, it i mean it wasn't like a there wasn't animosity or anything we were kind of just talking about it. and i was just like for me it's I, you know, for one, I agree that I think 95% of people just are not gonna. It does. It's not gonna matter. And yeah, there is some percentage that probably is, you know, doing like what I did. Like I said before, you know, I, I picked up stuff from Draft Sheet and Hefe back in the day and made it my own and, and got a lot better really quickly. Um, there's definitely, I think, people that are doing that. But for me, it's I get paid enough to supplement my downswings and not have to worry about money. That it's worth it to me. Like I think you know DFS is going to turn into something else you know sports betting is the answer but um, you know the this Here economy to people, is gonna be I think it's going to turn
0: into DFS styled sports betting companies
1: That's exactly what I think also um but you know I think that like I don't think we're going to have like this iteration of DFS for the rest of my life and if I do this for you know 10 years I'm going to have taught so many people to be good at DFS that I can't make money at DFS or something I, that's not going to happen I think it's more in my interest right now because I'm not independently wealthy that I'm paid enough, you know, I don't have to cover expenses from DFS. I don't have to worry about those down swings. I've played DFS without any secondary income and I hated it. Um it, it was just miserable for me. So, um to me, you know, like I said the the conversation was with Ricky. I said to Ricky, I was like, "Yeah, if I win the millimaker or maybe, you know, two, I I would stop doing this probably pretty quickly." But right now, um for me just risk reward standpoint, it makes sense for me to give a little bit to that 5% in exchange for not
0: having to worry about money at all. Right. I mean, I, I it's the same thing for me. I mean, uh, the, the, mo- the money that I make from doing content on Roto grinders and doing, and obviously selling the course that I have, like that pays all my bills. Right. Like, so like all, all the profit from DFS just gets added to my bankroll and added to my right. bankroll. And add, and I'm going to be doing the stuff that I do. I'm going to be doing anyway. I mean, like, right. it's like, you're doing a show before lock because you're doing, you're, you're doing it. I mean, like, like it's yeah, not exactly All you're like, doing is doing it in front of a camera and talking right, about it. Right. All
1: I'm doing is putting into words what I would be doing anyway. So it, it's. To uh. Um. Raven one time, posted some, and me and him are, are friends. Uh, he posted something like tongue in cheek about, um, you know, like why Touts would do whatever, and I just dm him, and I was just like, uh, if I paid you to do two hours of, you know, to to talk through your work two hours, you know, every day and I paid you X amount, how quickly would you do it? And he's just like, Oh yeah, I I, I would take it, right. you know? So like it's to, to me, it's just kind of, and it's not it's, that it
0: much knows, money and to be, make it clear. It's really not that much money.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's enough, but it's, it's, um, I, I wouldn't do it for like, I wouldn't do it for what I used to get paid.
0: You know, when, <laughs> I, when I first
1: started out, um, you know, it, but
0: it, it, it's, it's enough. Is that a, where, sh- is that a shot at someone? <laughs> what I Yeah. A- ask Eric. Um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, Eric was my first quote-unquote employer in the industry. What,
0: add uh, but Add more funds?
1: Yeah, uh, Eric for yeah. Yeah. Um, at, he, it was called Slurve back in like 2015. Oh, yeah, he
0: probably played nothing, right? How much could he have paid?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I, I had equity in his startup. I think he paid me like $300 once because he felt bad. Um, <laughs> but I, I went from there to FanVice and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, like there's – for me, it's there, there's just like anything else. There's a sliding scale. Um, right now, it – is it makes sense for me to do what I'm doing. I think that I am more than
0: compensated for whatever edge I'm giving up do, do you do you, do you believe that like you the, the reason why I don't like I I respect your content is because like I see that like I know that you're playing more in DFS than you get paid yeah right like it, it's a it's a the scale like to me there's a difference between imagine you're making two thousand dollars a month doing content and playing five dollars a slate right to me that's much different than getting paid two thousand to a content when you're playing five thousand to ten thousand a day like, right. where where the content isn't the main income it's DFS it's just the You con- just the right. recurring space underneath. I don't I don't because there, there are a lot of people that have that mentality of like because uh, we, we see this debate come up like once a month. On Twitter about, can you be, can you get, can you provide content without like having skin in the game? And to me for DFS as a game perspective, my answer is no. It's yeah. It's the way, the way I view it
1: is I think you can, like, I think during that, during that stretch in 2017, 2018, where I was playing really poorly, I think I was actually doing the best content work that I probably had done just from like understanding, like I, I, I I wasn't building good lineups, but I was like, conceptually, I understood what I should be doing. I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, Like, I I think my content was actually really good, but the way I look at it is, and again, like I was still playing, I just wasn't winning. Um, But the way I look at it is, you can still, especially from like an analysis standpoint, I think if you don't have skin in the game, you still could provide useful information. You kind of have to prove it to me though. Like, if I if you're someone that I know plays at a high level and then you start doing content, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that you know what you're talking about. If you're someone that doesn't play, I'm going to assume that you're full of shit basically unless you really prove to me that like you – what you're saying makes sense and you know it definitely makes sense with you know how strategy works and all of that. I think that's a pretty high bar. I don't think many people do it. Um, I think it's possible,
0: though. It's possible. I don't think anyone does that. I'm talking about the analysis that what I call the explaining the projections analysis. Like it's quite like Evan Silva's matchups column. I don't. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. But no offense, but that's not DFS analysis. Like that's right. You're giving me snap counts. You're, You're giving me information that I could be utilizing for my DFS play, but you're not giving me DFS advice right, I, don't get, right, I don't consider that type of if you if you want to you know i've no problem i listen to mma podcasts and read mma stuff and they explain how the fighters fight or whatever. like that has nothing to do with my process of how to make lineups but like if i wanted to know how these fighters fight like you're providing me with with very valuable stuff it doesn't help me in dfs though right right yeah yeah
1: I, i'm with you there like i'll pull some stuff like you know from the matchups article or something i'll be like oh i hadn't thought of that i'm not really sure that you know, like, like maybe I should bump this guy's projection a little bit just because I'm not sure that anybody's really paying attention to this. Like, I'll pull stuff like that. But yeah, if you're someone giving actual like DFS strategy, like, you know, this is how you should be approaching things, blah, blah, blah it's really hard to make the case that you can do that at a high level if you're not playing because why wouldn't you be playing?
0: Right. Because right, right, you'd be doing exactly what you're saying. Right. 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 Like, th- that. But like, the there's, so, there's still so
1: much money to be made in DFS. Nobody's giving up DFS to like do content.
0: Not not any good player. Right. Right. I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I, I'd I'd
0: be shocked. I, unless if if uh, if five thousand more people want to buy my course this year, maybe maybe I, I I've right. done I've <laughs> said that before. Uh, Adam in DMs sometimes you'll get the, you get the random people that are like, can you build my lineups? You know, can can you give me a lineup type of thing that they don't even know what I do. They just saw I won something and whatever. Uh, And my, you know what my response is? I'm an asshole. I'm sarcastic. I said, if you pay me $75,000, I'll give you all my lineups. Right. That's my uh... goal every year is to just make $75,000. So it's like, like, dude, if I don't have to have any risk and get $75,000, I will make it. And they look at me and like, yeah, but this other guy charges $10 a month. I'm like, yeah, because they're bad players. Like no, no one worth their shit would be doing that. Yeah, people DM
1: me for uh, DFS coaching, and I'm just like, honestly, the amount of money you would need to pay me to get me to talk about DFS any more than I have to is just not worth it for you. I'd be ripping you off. Like,
0: right, same thing for me. It's like, dude, I'm on every day. Like, right. if, you, if you can't learn by that, what do you need a private coach for? Right. There's nothing that I would tell you that's any different. Yeah, exactly. Ship my money, DFS, on, on Twitter. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll eventually give you shit about buying a Penguin. Yeah, I already kind of regretting that. <laughs> Apparently it's, it's so out of my you, element. Did, did you buy the Pudgy one or there's another Yeah, yeah, one. I bought
1: the Pudgy one. <laughs>
0: you know Bring my stance hat. on all this shit. I'm fucking it's, I got none yeah, of Yeah, <laughs> it,
1: it's FOMO. I 100%.
0: Yeah, but at least it I, that's at least admit that. If everyone's if everyone on Twitter just said this is one big Ponzi scheme, let's all get in and pump and dump and get out and have someone else hold the bag. It's I fun to do that. Think that. Let's like, do I, it. I, I buy I like,
1: I buy into the fact that like stuff will be – a lot of the stuff or some of the stuff will be valuable in the future and all that. I don't know anything about really what I'm looking at. Um, this particular purchase was 100% FOMO for me. Uh, when punks were 40 I looked at them and I was just like, no way, not doing that. And then now they're like 200 When apes were like 10 k or whatever, I was just like, I'm not doing that. And now they went up a ton. And this time I was like, whatever, screw it. I'll, yeah, if but that's I lose all that,
0: short like, term.
1: What
0: would you say? That's all short term. Are yeah. you going to hold on to the when you bought the penguin? Did you think of I'm not going. Uh, I'm the minimum. The minimum amount of time for me to sell this isn't until twenty years. No. Right. So that. So then. Then don't. Then people should not act if like if that. I, then. if
1: I hold it for twenty years, I think like whatever. That's fine. Um. The. I mean the way really the way I look at it is that it's. I, I'm holding my Ethereum in the version in a more volatile.
0: Asset okay, you're you're Ethereum. doing a derivative. I'm just, I'm just laughing at that. Uh, I'm talking to Davis in February. He buys a Tyler Hero saying that it's a good long term investment, and his version of long term is three months. I'm like, oh, right, that's, right. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. Lo- then it's not long term. Then right. it's the f- flip it as high as you can and get the fuck out, which yeah. is fine, but then just say well, it's I mean, that. And that's the, that's the thing that for me is difficult with these two. I bought
1: the first uh, real NFT I bought was uh, Robert Gronkowski. I bought it, you know, like, I don't know. A few weeks ago um, for like I, I saw someone tweet that and it was he tweeted that he thought they'd be really valuable in like four or five years because they were like the first real athlete NFT. And I was like, OK, that makes sense to me. It was like 0.5 ETH. And I was like, yeah, whatever. That's I'll just buy that and forget that I have it. So I bought a couple. And then it, like, went on a run where, like, 4X'd in value. And so I actually sold mine last night for, like, 4X over the course of, like, three weeks. And so it was just, like, I had actually bought that intending to kind of just forget that I had it. But then it got to the point where it was just like, wait, I can just really quickly, like, subsidize everything else that I'm buying. I basically was like, wait, I can just buy a Penguin now with my...
0: Yeah, but house. that's a so, different like, game. So if, if you want to treat it as a game, that's fine. Right. Like, I, my my attitude is, is not that I'm not against the game. I'm against the deception. I'm against... The top, when Top Shots started up, right? And Bales' post and, and people aped into that shit. It's like, I acknowledge that I could sit around for drops and I could buy stuff from the marketplace and flip the flip my bags over to someone right. else and get a 10X return like that. Said, so But there's a percentage of time that I'm going to be stuck because I'm not going to get out in time. There's right. it also there's an opportunity cost on my time.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I, don't and know, and I, I tend mean, to
0: be the person that likes to do things like I'm going to be all in or all out. Right, and I'm like... Right. So if I'm going to be doing this, that means I'm most likely not going to be playing NBA DFS tonight. And I'm like, I'd rather be playing NBA. D- so it's like, and if you guys make money in two months and some people flip shit for 10 X, like, what does that have? I still got my fucking stock portfolio. That's up 18% on the year. So like, right. Like what, what feel I'll free to get that's rich the other right now, and every, I'll get, I'll be, I'll, I'll see you in 20 years. Have fun. Yeah. Everything, everything goes up right now. So like the opportunity
1: cost right. for like so much stuff like that, that ended up kind of being the biggest thing. Like I made money in, in Top Shot, but realistically I, and, I, and I played about as poorly as, as, as you could in top shots you know still <laughs> made money but it was just like yeah I probably would have made more money if I just like dumped this into ethereum and held it instead of
0: well I but know, I viewed I view it like, the same way with the stock market like right. like it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that people are like uh, well you pick up this top shot and you pick up this NFT you go on OpenSea, you go into your metamask and your coinbase and your whatever like that and it's like like dude like all these assets are all correlative to one another. Which is right. also correlated to the stock market. So, like, dude, I could just buy SPY and just do literally nothing <laughs> and get the same same. Maybe not as much of a ceiling because there's more volatility. Right, Though, right. but it's like, why am I ever going to argue with like? I don't see how anyone could argue with seven to ten percent annualized returns. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for I think for when want, not uh, for doing like, like the best advice that people give you for investing is you you put your money in DCA. As money in every month, everything like yeah. that, and then forget the password to your to your account, right. and then wake up when you're retired. And right. Like, yeah. Which. Like, yeah, and I, and I think you
1: know, obviously, um, what, when you look at the demographic, you know, at least on Twitter, that's that's into NFTs too. It's a bunch of you know 30 year old guys that love to gamble. Like we we're embracing that. We're just getting really volatile stocks. But then say it's gambling. Then
0: say yeah. it's gambling. This ain't the future, the the apes, the ape avatar. I think technology wise it is. I don't yeah. know what the I have no idea what the winners are. Right, no, I agree with that. I, I, I told Davis. I said said I, I think the blockchain succeeds. I just think yeah. that, that the dollar is gonna be on the blockchain, not Bitcoin. Oh no, I mean I, I don't know, I, I and I don't know enough about it to have
1: like strong takes, but I I think that and NFT wise, like I think like entertainment wise, something comes out of this where like it's the future and yeah, I, we've, I'll we've think seen it's stupid. This.
0: I'll think it's stupid, but... Right. I'm not that much older than you, right? Probably like 10 years. 10 years, right. But I mean, I've seen that, right? Well, Pokemon cards. Oh, okay. Mag- yeah. Magic the Gathering was big. I mean, it's still... People still it's play still big. it. Yeah. Right, MMA. I, I sold MMA, uh, MM. Uh, you know, the MMO, the World of Warcraft, Team Fortress hats and Team Fortress. Yeah. They were the big, right? We had Second Life. Where the fuck is all of that now? Any- the-, the swords that I was selling for... For 50, 75 bucks, are worth like nothing now. Like not like what is it? Yeah, but that was you might be like you might be
1: like 15, 20 years older than me.
0: I'm about forty-two years old.
1: Okay, you're twelve years older. Okay, so or, no, god damn, you're only eleven years older. I've right, got so how old I'm I am. Not,
0: people think I'm older than I am. I guess I'll
1: say you you could have told me anywhere from like thirty-five to fifty, and I would have <laughs> said yeah. Okay,
0: Okay, so if you want to make fun of Adam's penguin, are you ch- are you changing your avatar? No. Why not? You have to change your avatar. It's required. No, I'm not,
1: right? I'm, not, I'm not giving in on that.
0: You put your or you put yourself with the avatar, like kind of.
1: <laughs> no, avatar is not changing.
0: No, what what someone wanted me to do. I uh, I talked to, to Mangone. Uh, he he want he wants me to change my avatar to a to a to an NFT to an yeah. It, especially since I say that I'm never gonna buy any of these things, just to well, see what I, the I, reaction's gonna be.
1: I texted uh one of my good friends um because I I told him I'd been thinking about buying a car. And then I texted him. I was like, instead of the new Lexus, I, I bought this. And he <laughs> and he, he screenshotted it and replies. He goes, I now also own this. <laughs> and like it was a picture of my Penguin.
0: <laughs> right. Oh, it cost, oh, so, so basically it, your Penguin costs as much as a car. It, it was a down payment. And that's your first, like, you, when, when you go in, you're just like, you, at least over Zed, it's like, I'll just buy a fifth of something. Yeah, no, I, th- that wasn't my first NFT. That was my biggest purchase. So but why, prior, well, 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 why I, that? I kinda, why, why the Pudgy Penguin?
1: Smart people have it. <laughs> yeah, no, my, my previously purchased I'd spent like nine K on a Giannis top shot. This was like eleven K. Uh,
0: you know, you know, you know, to most people we sound very privileged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. You bought the twenty thousand dollars worth of fake shit, right? Instead yep. of instead of what? Instead of instead of a car.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I live in the city, what do I need a car for?
0: Yeah, well you need a car. Who cares? So ship my money, DFS. You can find all of his stuff at awesomo.com. And as always, the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports 15-Hour Audio DFS Masterclass at TheoryofDFS.com.